the concept of the J curve is taking advantage of a rock bottom in your life and using that rock bottom to create exponential growth in your life. Your present version of yourself is just a culmination of your past. In the present moment, we constantly reference the past for how to behave, and we wonder why we never change. We wonder why our lives never seem to look all that different. But with this identity change framework, and specifically what something like state change allows you to do is lasso your future self, pull it into this current reality, you get yourself into the right state, and you go, you know what? Today's the fucking day. One of my favorite quotes, it's um, Epictetus. It's, don't explain your philosophy, embody it. And that single decision just opened a portal to a new world. But that portal would not have been opened if you were not in the right states, if you're just sleepily sipping your coffee, woe is me, just not feeling it today, I hope tomorrow's better. Tomorrow's not going to be better with that mindset. You have to go out and get it. Welcome to the Conscious Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Griff. I'm a conscious serial entrepreneur with a passion for wealth creation, sovereignty and natural law, spirituality and consciousness, financial literacy, commerce, investing, and the game of money. I am the founder of the Level Up Collective, a conscious wealth mastermind in which I lead countless others through the process of unlearning most, if not all, of what we've been taught about the world and the game of money, and then relearning what the rules of this secretive game really are and how we can actually win at it. I was incredibly blessed to stumble across many of the secrets of the 1% at a young age. And rather than keeping it all to myself, I'm on a mission to share this information freely with as many people as I can. This podcast is going to challenge the very fabric of your reality. And at times, you may find yourself running up against some of your deepest unconscious belief systems. I encourage you to give yourself grace, keep an open mind, and never just accept what I say as fact. Always do your own research. I never want you to just assume I am telling the truth. I am not here to convince or teach you anything, but rather to reflect back and remind you of things that somewhere in your consciousness you already know. Take what resonates, discard what doesn't, and enjoy the ride. Now let's get started. All right. Well, joining the show today is my friend Jeremy Griffin. So excited to have you on. Welcome to the J-Curve. I feel like we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. And yeah, just blessed to have you here, brother. Appreciate you, my man. I'm excited to be uh, one of the first honorary mentions on the J-Curve and uh, just want the audience to know that I participated in the in the inception and uh, ideation of the excellent name and uh, you're going places. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah, you were the f- one of the, I think you were the first person I sent the, the new logo to. Uh, yep. You, you, you drew it out on my whiteboard. I did. I did. I did. So thank you for your support in that. Jeremy's got this like, like fascinating mind when it comes to like branding and psychology. So I was like, okay, this is the right guy to talk to when it comes to choosing a new logo, choosing a new name. So um, yeah, you've been a great friend to, to lean on with that. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah, man. So Jeremy, the way he and I actually met at a friend's birthday party um, and we just got to talking about health spirituality, sovereignty, 
um, just financial freedom, all these things. We just, we basically connected immediately within like the first hour of knowing each other. It was like kind of one of these moments like, oh, I feel like I've known this guy forever. Mm-hmm. And um, it was such a beautiful time in my life because that was when I was like kind of struggling. I was kind of in a dark night, if you will, mm-hmm. in San Diego, thinking about leaving. And then our mutual friend had a birthday party invited. We both happened to be there. And I think you said that you weren't planning on going either. It was no. just kind of a... <laughs> very synchronistic, yes. Very synchronistic. synchronistic and I was just blessed to, blessed to have in my life and to, to continue this work together. Um. So I kind of wanted to start there, like as far as what initially got us connected in the first place, that was, we were talking health, food, eating locally. Um, Cause I know you initially started out your entrepreneurial journey kind of in the, in the fitness space, right? Yep. So I would love for you to share just a little bit about like your trajectory. We don't got to go too deep into that. Cause I know that could probably take up the whole, you know, the episode. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, just kind of how you got to where you are right now. Cause you went, you went fitness, business, wealth, and it's such yeah. an awesome um, journey that you've had. I've kind of, I would kind of love to start there with the health there. Cool. Cool. So I'll, yeah, hopefully this isn't too long. <clears throat> So ever since I was probably a young teenager, I've I've always been fascinated with the human body and human potential. I, I obviously I grew up playing sports, and um, after you quit playing sports, you're kind of always in that in that mindset, if you will, of um, wanting to find a way to physically push yourself. And um, I didn't have that for a number of years in my, from high school to into college. And so I started getting in a lot of, uh, trouble, if you will, going down the wrong path, et cetera, et cetera. So long story short, uh, I wake up one night in, uh, I'm 20 years old. I wake up one night or one morning in jail. I have no shoes on. I'm super confused. Is this a dream? What's going on? Wasn't a dream. Uh, I had landed myself in, uh, let's see, it would have been called Santa Rosa, (laughs) Santa Rosa community jail or something like that, uh, up at Sonoma state. That was one town North of us. And, um, turned out I had been arrested for drunken public possession of cocaine. Long story short, I got put on a rehabilitation program where I had to call in every morning to find out if I was going to be randomly drug and alcohol tested. I also had to go to classes that are very similar to like AA, uh, NA, and these types of things to work through addiction and all that. So that was actually like my little rock bottom of like, okay, I live in a frat house. I've been, I've been living this lifestyle in a certain way. I did not view myself as someone who was an addict or had a problem but I just found myself in jail. And so there's really two things that you can do, right? You can be the guy who's sitting there like, okay, I don't belong here. Like there's nothing wrong. Or you can be the person who's like, okay, it's time to take responsibility over my life and make some different decisions. So from that, that was really the uh, dark night that my little personal rock bottom that got me into seeking alternative, an alternative lifestyle. And so that was actually why I got into fitness. Um, I messed around with working out, you know, lifting way too heavy shit form protein (laughs) powder in high school, but like 
nothing consistent. So for all intents and purposes, I started my fitness journey when I was 20, like actually, you know, diving into the nutrition, learning about macronutrients, uh, vitamins and supplements and um, getting on an actual workout split and tracking your workouts and, you know, just immersing yourself in, in the knowledge. And so that started at 20 and I had a pretty quick like transformation because I stopped drinking. I mean, I couldn't, I stopped parting in any sense. I spent the weekend at the gym and in the library. I started carrying a gallon jug, took all my classes, regardless of getting trolled for it. Um, you know, started taking the right supplements, started eating right. And I, you know, it was maybe six months before, you know, consistently people like, whoa, you look really different. Like, what are you doing? That type of thing. So it was kind of immediate feedback for me of, um, all right, I seem to be like kind of good at this. Like, you know, cause we just, we all perceive ourselves how we perceive ourselves. I didn't necessarily th think anything of it. And then I just start getting constant feedback and I'm a junior in college and you know, I'm in that weird space where it's like, it's time to pick your, it's time to pick what you want to do for the rest of your life. Right? Like it's all of a sudden like you're a sophomore and it's like, Oh, nothing matters like frat parties. And then you're a junior and it's like, you're an adult now. You need to choose what you're going to do for the rest of your life. You relate. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, a business, <laughs> that's how you make money. So I'm a business major, and but I don't, any of the options I keep trying, accounting, marketing, finance, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, I just can't see it. So when this kind of aligned, it was like, I just kind of saw my opportunity here. And Instagram was brand new. Uh, social media was brand new. And I read a book by Gary V called Jab, Jab, Right Hook. And the rest is history, man. I created my Instagram that day. I created a Twitter that day, though I didn't end up using it. The idea is that I created my social media that day. And I started to just, as he says, document, not create. And I started to just share as much value as I could for free. You know, that was 20 um, fast forward now to me graduating college. I obviously didn't go the cubicle nine to five route. Um, I took my degree. I didn't even walk at graduation. I could care less. Came back home, moved back in with my mom and started my personal training and fitness business. And so that was the origins of that. Now, let me make it more relevant to your question now that I've given the context of kind of where I came from. So on the business side, Yes, I was really into and I'm still really into health, fitness, human optimization, um, long longevity, biohacking, all that stuff. I am really into that. Um, and I was. Having said that, I have always been a man with a plan. I don't just rush into something and I don't just do something for surface level reasons. Regardless of what I was doing, whether you look at 20-year-old me, whether you look at, well, I'll say 21-year-old me, or whether you look at 24-year-old me or 28-year-old me or today, 31-year-old me, I'm doing what I'm doing for a reason, and it might be deeper than it seems on the surface. And so, yes, I was uh, a personal trainer, and then I was an online fitness coach, and then I was a life or spiritual coach, and then I was a business coach, and now I run a wealth mastermind. But to me... That was all the same path. It was all the same trajectory. I went into it with the intention of, I'm going to become wealthy through this. I'm going to impact millions of lives through this. I'm going to realize my larger purpose on earth through this. And I know that kind of sounds silly because how many personal trainers walk into the gym with that mindset. They're like, look, I'm just looking to make my 
150 bucks today and leave. Like it's a difference. In, but that was how I was approaching it. And so, you know, that business ultimately, I didn't know anything about um, systems and pricing structure. And I just had so much to learn as an entrepreneur. So I ultimately built myself a business that became a prison because by the time I reached a successful client load, I was working more than a nine to fiver and I was making around what a nine to fiver makes. Um, maybe more of like the out of college ones, but you know, nothing crazy. It's definitely not, you know, I wasn't sitting there like, yeah, this is why I'm on earth. So I kind of ran into a ceiling there. I also started to go through my own second spiritual awakening there. Cause the first one was, it was a spiritual awakening of sorts, um, of realizing I had created all my own suffering and that I needed to make better choices and that I needed to be a positive force in the world. But it was more of an elementary awakening. The second one in 2017 had me literally just fold my business overnight, announce to all my clients and let them all go and fully just trust fall into, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but God's guiding it. And I spent the next uh, six to nine months just remodeling everything and ultimately transitioned and popped out the other side, uh, a butterfly with a with my first high ticket offer and that high ticket offer was called mind, body, soul mastery. And that was essentially a culmination of me teaching others everything that I had learned in not only body transformation, but mind transformation and soul transformation from a place of experience because I had been through it twice now of reinventing myself or identity change. These, some of these aspects are a lot harder than it is to just lose 10 pounds. Um, and so that was, that was the spawning of kind of my second business. And that was a huge level up because I went from really just working with people who were for all intents and purposes, mainly just hiring me to change how their meat suit looked. They didn't have any uh, deeper desire. And when we ran into certain um, issues, whether it be like self-sabotaging patterns, uh, binge eating, not being able to re remain consistent. I always understood and went to the the root of the issue, right? Like, let's figure out why your behaviors are actually like that. And a lot of these people, they weren't, um, they weren't ready for that. They weren't wanting those kind of answers. So pivoting allowed me to work with people and help people in a deeper capacity, right? And working with hundreds and hundreds of people in the fitness space showed me firsthand. I mean, I would get someone peeled like the best shape of their life. And in their check-ins, they would just shit on themselves. And it really showed me like, okay, we really think like, if I just looked this way, then I'd love myself or whatever it may be. And yeah. it just was not... Or same, same on the flip side, right? Help a skinny kid get like more jacked than he's ever been, stronger than he's ever been. And it's all, and the mindset was just like, but I'm not content, but, I'm, but there's more. And it's like, okay. So it really opened my eyes to that of, okay, I know I'm helping people, but I could be helping people in a deeper way, right. not like further in training them into like, like self punishment in a way. Um, and, and that doesn't get talked about too much, but fit, a lot of the fitness industry is like the self punishment industry. Like there's a difference between fitness and health and 22, 23, 24 year old me. I didn't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So whereas now it's like, yeah, I like to have a, a, a reasonable uh, physique. I like to look a certain way. I like to have a reasonable baseline of strength, but I understand now that like what health actually is. And it's different from looking like you could step on stage on a physique competition. And the irony is that people will look at people that look like that and they'll think that they're the epitome in health. And in reality, if you run their blood panels, they're 30 seconds away from a heart attack. (laughs) So that's an interesting, um, that was an interesting journey and trajectory for me, but that kind of explains, you know, how my, how my roots were set in the, in the fitness space. And so then I evolve into helping people in more of the spiritual and then the life side. Some people would call me a life coach. I didn't really like that term. Um, I'm just, I was just helping people with things that you couldn't see on the surface. So a lot of unconscious, um, subconscious, uh, limiting beliefs, patterns, behavior change, and trauma was all that. And so that was my second main business. And, um, and then there was actually a, a, a third business, which was uh, the Aligned Entrepreneur. And that was that was helping spiritual entrepreneurs after they've gone through their awakening, after they've healed their trauma. It's very common to feel like, okay, now I'm this new person. I've, I've kind of actualized in a sense. I want to serve others. It's a very common trajectory. And so being in service to my ideal client, I noticed that and I was like, okay, let me, I wanted to provide a solution there. And I actually had clients like I had one client in particular, Jesse, who actually this offering would never have came about if it weren't for her. She kind of made me like take her on as a test client in this. She's like, I've seen what you've done. You've done it multiple times. You know what you're doing. I want you to teach me. And it was like, all right, but I'm not some business. Like I had serious imposter syndrome, right? Like I'm not some business guru. Like, but it anyway, so that's as organic as it was. I did not intend to. A lot of this path, none of actually, none of this path I intended, right? It just kind of happens through uh, God and, you know, everyone has their different beliefs. But when I look back on my path, it was just very much so like it was, it was chosen for me. So yeah, that was the aligned entrepreneur. And so I pivot from helping people with that deep internal stuff to taking that same mindset and perspective and understanding of how things actually operate and what actually dictates our results into business, which was seriously missing, right? Everything about the business space. I mean, we, we still see this to a degree now, but think back to, um, 2018, 2019, that's when I was doing this. I mean, it was very popular, like sleepless productivity planners, Pomodoros, mindset training, time blocking. I mean, all of the approaches to business were just so masculine and it wasn't being addressed. Like my whole thing is like, whoever's driving the ship, that should be the biggest focus in business. And so the aligned entrepreneur was a lot. Yes, there's a a whole host of tactics and strategies and all that, but a big focus was on the human. Because if we don't get the human right, and if we don't get the, the driver's beliefs right, they're going to crash, right? They're going to crash and burn. So that was that. And then through those three different businesses, all of which very seemingly different, right? On the surface, it's like, okay, so you did fitness coaching, you did life and spiritual coaching, and you did business coaching. You know, I kind of uh, 
learned a thing or two and I built enough uh, of a community or what you could call in the marketing world is enough goodwill in the market uh, from just giving, giving, giving for, uh, I guess, around seven years at this time Um, and working with hundreds and hundreds of clients in different capacities. Um, In January 2020, uh, I was meditating and I just just had this essentially lightning bolt, call it a download, whatever you want, just uh, come in and it was just level up collective. (laughs) I had no context. It was just that, that was it. And it was like, all right, what is this? So I was essentially just kind of um, told to create this group and that this group was going to be like the thing, like, my future. I don't know. I don't know, really know how to describe it, but for the first time, I didn't let my logical mind come in and start doing all of the logical things of like, but this doesn't make sense, but what is it? We'll do it later. Like I just literally got out of the way and three within three weeks it was launched and check. Here's the craziest part of this whole story. Now that I've kind of went through the trajectory of like the, I view each of those previous businesses as stepping stones, right? And because ultimately they were all a part of me, but they weren't all of me. They were challenging me in an area, but they weren't fulfilling me in all areas. It wasn't until the level up collective of what I do now that I'm actually challenged and fulfilled in all areas. And you've been inside it. I think you can understand what that, you know, why that is because it's very multifaceted. Um, So January, it was like the third or fourth week of January, 2020 that I created this. Think about the timing of that and what ha- what happened two to three weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm told to launch this, essentially my first ever group offering. I had never done anything group and I had a lot of fears come up, fears of being seen and heard, imposter syndrome, um, who's gonna, are people even going to join, fear of speaking on camera. All that stuff was still present. Uh, 2020, I, I started working with a hypnotist to kind of like work through some of that at a deeper level. Um, but anyway, I got out of the way. I launched regardless and it turned out to be just like a crazy moment where I trusted, you want to call it your higher self. You want to call it divine intelligence. You want to call it God, but I trusted whatever that was. And I just created that thing. And that thing in a short period of time went on to change the trajectory of, of my life and has been by far the most potent vehicle that I've ever experienced in my, in my four businesses thus far for impacting other people's lives. Um, the amount of change we've actually been able to create in other people's lives at scale, right? Cause it's no longer, it's not based on my capacity to handle one-on-ones has been uh, a serious blessing. And a lot of that, was um, accelerated by the fact that, you know, when the world shut down, like what are, what is one of the most basic human needs that all of us have that was taken away from us? Community. And so, you know, we're locked in our houses. People are working from home if they're even working. Um, We're not allowed to go out and have fun with our friends anymore. You're not allowed to go out in public places, sit together, all that. So people were really desiring and missing a sense of community. And obviously a group community uh, can kind of provide that in a, in a digital sense. 
And another huge pain point during that era is I think people realize just how vulnerable they are and just how finicky these systems are. I think a lot of people had a forced wake-up call during 2020. You know, for, for many of us, we've been knowing these things, but for a lot of the world, they didn't have a need to know these things. They, life was good. Things were great. 11-year bull market, happy kids, white picket fence, retirement account. What, what do you mean? Why, why would I want to look at that dark stuff that's uncomfortable? But then that happens. And so a lot of people were forced to sit their ass down and take a look. And that's some deep shadow work, you know? So I feel like as a country, as a nation, we were going through some shadow work as a collective kind of. <laughs> yes. And um, and that just so happens to be exactly what the Level Up Collective kind of focuses and and teaches on. Obviously, some of the inner work, but what I'm specifically addressing is like education and empowerment solutions around a lot of these things where people realize like, oh, I need to take my financial future into my own hands. Like yeah. if they can crash the economy over this fake, whatever you want to call it, what else can they do? Is my, is, are my, is my retirement strategy really actually safe? Is this an effective strategy or, or what about my job that they're can just take away from me because I won't shove this thing in my arm. You know, a lot of these things had never crossed people's mind before because they hadn't thought that deep because they didn't need to think that deep. They thought that they were safe. They thought that life was just what they were told it was. And unfortunately for some, life is not what we've been told it was. Yeah. And that's kind of what my whole brand today is about, opening people's eyes that life is not what we've been told it was and that that's not a negative thing. So... I'll stop there um, if you want to dig in any deeper into any of that, but yeah, um, I don't want to go on too long for on my story. <laughs> no, man. Hey, Jeremy, thank you so much for for sharing that. It's such a cool story, and there's so much to unpack there, and I want to touch on all of that in in due time during our time together. Um, but something that uh, I admire you about is that several things, right? Is that you're very laser aware and you take action immediately. So this, this show is called The J-Curve, right? And the concept I came up with this was that, okay, well, with a, with a couple friends, we came up with this, all right? We don't want to take all the credit. <laughs> but the concept is like, a friend of mine asked me, he said, okay, what would you be talking about if you were the number one podcast in the world and money was an issue? I said, human evolution, growth. So the concept of The J-Curve is taking advantage of a rock bottom in your life and using that rock bottom to create exponential growth in your life. So it sounds like you've had a couple, right? The first one being um, you ended up you wake up in jail one day. It's like, oh my goodness! And what did you do? You took action immediately. Yeah. So like something, as I said, that I admire about you is you're you're very aware. You take action immediately, and you have you're very intentional. So like, hey, I'm gonna walk in. I'm gonna be a millionaire as a fitness coach. Okay, like that's step one to get there. And um, you practice what you preach. One of my favorite quotes is I think it's Seneca or no, it's um, Epictetus. It's don't explain your philosophy, embody it. So in this bars, bars dude, bars. <laughs> and in this space of quote unquote influencers, uh, coaching, like I, I really don't like the word coach either or life coach. I don't like that stuff, but it, it is what it is. In this space, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. 
and you're saying one thing and doing another. People are saying one thing and doing another. One of my one of my um my friend group in college. One of our little quotes that we would say each to, to uh, tell each other is say it or do it. Like if you make a declaration, you hit them right back and say, "Okay, say it or do it." I'm gonna I'm gonna lose 20 pounds. Okay, say it or do it. <laughs> right. So with you, it's like, okay, you found success in fitness. You found success in life. You found success in business. Now you're now you found amazing success with what you're doing now with the Level Up Collective. So it's like you're you're practicing what you preach. Whereas a lot of people uh, that I've seen in this industry, because I worked with Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi, and I, I've seen business coaches who've never started a business yeah. being a business coach. Yeah, starting out, that's their first business is to be a business coach. <laughs> it, 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 it's 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 sad, and like I at the same time I try to put myself in their shoes and their mindset of why they're doing this. They're taking advantage of an opportunity right now. It's like okay, people want to help people, right? And now there's almost this oversaturation of coaches and all this stuff. And a lot of these coaches are finding themselves back in nine to fives because for, for any number of reasons. But one thing I wanted to touch on, I would love your your thoughts. Um, I've, I, I was formerly a health coach. I have a, several health coach friends. We know a ton of people in the, in the industry. Um, and I've found that this is a, typically the trajectory is like going from health to more so life, de- life, deeper inner work. Yep. Because to your point, people are getting chiseled, they're getting ripped, they're getting in good shape. And then they find themselves backsliding, Yep. It, making five steps forward then taking four steps back. Yeah. And like, what's there? Like it's deep work. It's trauma. It's that shadow work you're talking about. So what do you tell to somebody like who's, who, who has this, that, 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 how would you encourage someone to do that work, that, that shadow work, the, to do that trauma work? Well, I think it's important to always first we have to start with awareness and a lot of people just aren't aware of what governs their behavior. So simple crash course here, save you like 15 books, you know, 90, 95% of everything that we think, act on, speak and believe is dictated by our unconscious mind and feel, sorry, feelings as well are quite important. And those all work kind of uh, synergistically, right? You can have a feeling and it can create a thought. You can have a thought and it can create a feeling. Both of those contribute to what we refer to as beliefs, et cetera. 90 to 95% of this is unconscious and that's where it's, that's where it hangs out. So we have this common dilemma and this was literally what you're up against when you're a fitness coach. Client a, Hey Jeremy, uh, really excited to work with you. Here are my goals. I want to lose 25 pounds and get in better shape than I've ever gotten before. Okay, perfect. We lay out the plan, can give you the perfect plan, etc. Perfect plan doesn't mean shit. Because as soon as you start on that path, here's the issue. Those words, better shape than I've ever been in before, are the important point here. When you're trying to step into a place you've never been in before, what you're actually saying is I'm trying to create a new identity Mm, because mm -hmm. the way you look is just a byproduct of the way you currently perceive yourself. Mm -hmm. Your body fat composition, the weight on the scale 
what what you allow yourself to get to, how far you allow yourself to let yourself go before you rein it back in. We all have a different threshold based on how we perceive ourselves. And when you're trying to step into a better shape than I've ever been in before, well, you have to start with the internal shit of shifting your identity. And before you can talk about shifting your identity, you have to be aware of why are you overweight in the first place? That is where people don't want to go. It's like, but Jeremy, you don't understand it. I'm a mom of three kids. I work a busy job. It's like, I understand that. Mm-hmm. You have to slow down so you can think deeper. I- I'm busy. I don't have time to slow down. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. That person's just not ready. And that's what you see a lot in the fitness space because they're like, what the hell? You're psychoanalyzing me. I thought this was just fit. All right, cool. Like hire a different coach then because you don't actually want to be helped. Yeah. And one of my favorite quotes to to try to rise to the occasion of uh, the bar you dropped a few minutes ago is uh, <laughs> something along the lines of, before you try to heal a man, make sure that he's willing to give up what makes him sick in the first place. And we see a lot of that in any sense of the transformation space. It could be personal transformation or not, but a lot of times people think if I just hire this coach, if I just pay this money, if I just buy this course, then I've done the thing. And it's this false dopamine hit that we get. And in reality, it's like a lot of us aren't actually willing to give up this negative behavior or whatever it may be. So I think that piece of awareness first and foremost is really important. And then I don't feel encouragement is really needed. I feel like if you're like, if you have clarity and true awareness of why you're doing something and what it's doing to you and you choose not to change that, then that's your karma and that might be your path. I think that winners win. And I think that if if you're aware of something and you choose not to change that, then you're choosing it. And I'm not going to try to encourage you out of choosing it. We all have our path. I think you need more suffering. Yeah. And that's, whew, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> There's several different points. Okay, I got to reel it in here. But something that you brought up, um, talking about awareness, right? And um, our mutual friend, Aaron Apke, was on the show. And his his push right now is helping people become more spiritually intelligent. Yep. And I remember asking him that question, what does that mean to you? And initially, when he was first coming up in his space of being a spiritual teacher, um, someone that we could look up to, an educator, uh, he was like, well, it's just... I thought it was just awareness, but then that didn't really land. That wasn't, that didn't feel good anymore. Now it's awareness plus integration. You could be aware of anything. Oh, I'm aware that drinking alcohol is bad for me. I'm aware that not moving my body every day is detrimental. I'm aware of all these things, but am I actually taking action on those things? So for me, um, (laughs) there's so much there. So for me, it sounds like I I love the identity piece too, right? Shifting your identity. 
Now, I was talking to a friend of mine about what we're talking about right now. He's in medical school right now, brilliant man. And I was like, okay, I'm having trouble with consistency, right? And he's like, well, you, it's, a, it's an identity shift. It's about changing your identity. It's not about, hey, I want to lose 20 pounds. It's like, I am an shifting. I want to work out to I am an athlete. Just that little 100%. identity shift, right? So, and then also, I feel like it ties into values. Like, what are your core values? Is there, if you find yourself inconsistent, if you find yourself taking those three steps forward, two steps back, it's probably because there's misalignment, incongruency with whatever your values are. So, how in your experience, being in this space, being in, you know, you've been at this for like seven, eight years as far as personal development, spirituality, and all that. How would you, um, how would someone find their values? Excellent question. So I first off want to say that <clears throat> that is absolutely spot on what you said about identity and values. I would say that our values create our identity. Obviously, our identity can be more than just our values, but when we ask the question and dig into what is my identity, and we try, if we tried to write it out, where does it come from, and we tried to reverse engineer to figure out what is, how do I perceive myself, it would come from our deeper values, whether or not we're aware of them. We all have these values, right? So your question is kind of like, how do we get clear on our values? How do we get clear on our values? Yeah, I'm curious. Well, so I think same, same as last question, I think we have to start with awareness of where we're at first. So step one is, um, the, and this isn't easy to do. We always have to reverse engineer anything that we're, when, whenever we're talking about anything subconscious, so like feelings, actions, uh, beliefs, values, these types of things that are hidden, our identity, you can't see it. Like, I can't just ask you, Jeremy, like, what are your unconscious values? Like you'll list out your conscious values. You'll list out the things you aspire for, but you won't list out the things you're embodied in. And that gap is the personal development space or the journey of self-realization. It's the human condition. Exactly. We have a higher self, but we're an animal with an amygdala. And so that gap is the challenge and that is our work. So here's what we do when we're dealing with anything subconscious. It's like, you just look at someone's behavior. Mm. So I would, someone would need to study me on the day to day for about a week and they would be able to derive how and what I believe about myself. And they would be able to derive core values. And we can do this for ourselves, but we obviously have to be very honest. We have to be aware and we have to be willing to, to look and write things down and, and not cover things up, even if it's not ideal. Right. So if we notice, okay, I'm procrastinating or whatever it may be like, you know, noting that aspect. Okay. I tend to have very strong work ethic noting that aspect, but my point is to not get like lost in the weeds here is whenever we're dealing with anything unconscious, like our core values, we can't just like, think on them of like, yeah, what do I, what do I like? Or what do I stand for? Because a lot of times the things that we get all like emotional and riled up on are like perfect examples, like someone going out and like protesting and they're like, I stand for equality. But like you look in their day-to-day -day life and like, they're doing all sorts of shit that's not equal or fair. And it's like, but do you, 
don't really. It's like you, you stand for the idea, but you're not embodied in it. So this disconnect is, it's honestly very challenging. It's part of the human condition. So having said that, being aware is super important because that will tell you where you're at. You have to start where you're at. Now we can talk about what do we aspire for and all that. So to me, it's like, there's a few ways you can think of this. You can just like, obviously a common one is just like looking up to people and role models and like sitting with and, and getting clear on like, why do I like respect them so much? Why do I look up to them? What about them is so admirable? Yeah. And you can, um, you know, vocalize and verbalize. What is that trait called? Okay. That there's something to that. I'm going to write that down. I want to try to become more like that. That is the value of a good mentor, a good friend, a good book, a good leader. They should inspire us because they're reflecting back something that is inside of all of us. They're just choosing it more intentionally, right? That That is what inspiration is at a deeper level. Uh, we can't be inspired by something if it's not inside of us because we don't resonate. We can't relate. It's unattainable, right? So, that that is a, a helpful framework. Another one is this uh, notion of just thinking about uh, your higher self and trying to articulate the characteristics and traits of your higher self. Or another way of saying it could be um, God or or biblical principles. What are the values that um, the uh, Bible lays out and? Those are obviously tried and true, time-tested, right? They seem to create some pretty uh, repeatable, scalable results. So those are probably some good um, principles and core values to study. And it's not a thing of like just blindly adopting everything because it's in a book, but um, that's definitely a a vast ocean of some good examples there. Um, You can look around you in day-to-day life, like I said, and choose from people around you and study those. And you can also just like go the more introspective, meditative, um, higher self route of like, you know, when my, when I, when I silence my mind, like, what is my, like, what are the characteristics of like my, my true essence? Like what feels most authentic and trying to get clear on those. And then all of that isn't even really the real work. Then the real work starts, which is, okay, great. I have this list. Sweet right? I have these core values, just like any good business, you should have core values for your life because treat it like a business in a sense, right? So you have this thing to aspire for and you have this thing you actually are. And that is the human journey. That is the journey to what we could call self-realization, self-actualization. Embodiment means being what you say you are, like actually being, not doing it, but being it right? Where it's natural. Um, and that's a journey. You can't, you can't fake that. So you have to actually create the shift unconsciously or it's going to come out one way or another. You know, there's, there's not real integration there. Yeah. And I love that. It's like, who are you when the camera's off? Who are you when there's nobody around? Right. That's what embodiment is. Are you, I remember you sharing this at one point on one of our calls. Um, like exactly. What are you doing? Are you, are you pissing on a toilet seat and not cleaning it up? (laughs) Is that, is that, is that who you are? 
right? And and I know, and I love what you shared too about this is we're changing our unconscious programming, right? And I, for people that don't understand what the subconscious is, and Jeremy shared it a second ago, talking about how 95% of our daily actions, thoughts, and decisions, right, are come from this subconscious mind. And a lot of us don't really understand how that continues to get programmed. And what I like this, the way the, the way I like to illustrate the subconscious mind is, is if your smartphone, your iPhone is set to automatic software update that doesn't require a password to say yes, to update it. It just happens. So what we listen to, the music we listen to, like you can hear, you can have the TV on in the background. You're not even paying attention. It's still going in. That information yep. is still being downloaded. So being very laser aware of we're constantly being programmed and it's going to take work to rewire our brains yep. to create sustainable change, to create lasting change in our life. And yeah, it, it, it's so interesting. Um just this whole process of, of creating change and creating that new identity for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You just, there's one more thing I can say on this. So one of my favorite kind of frameworks and little quotes that I've come up with, and I say it to my students a lot is when things aren't adding up, subtract. And I think this is a perfect application of that because um, I realized I didn't like fully answer your question of like, but how do we like shift the, our actual values rather than just getting clear on them. And a big piece is like what you're speaking to, like, well, it's a whole process. I think that's why I didn't go into it. Cause there's not a, there's not necessarily an easy answer here, but everything from, you know, who you're, who you're spending time around is a big one, what you're consuming. And that's, that's, and that's everything from all the people you're following on social media to, different scrolling you're doing on apps and YouTube and Twitter and all of that to uh, TV that you're watching. It's uh, it's food that you're eating, right? It's your um, biological state and your nervous system state. And so it's so multifaceted, but I think the easiest, um, the easiest pretty simple framework to understand is like, if you're really trying to shift things, you need to subtract a whole lot. It's not as much about like, what are all the new things I need to add? Like what's the next trendy thing to reprogram my mind. And it's like, that may have its place at certain times. Um, but it's very much so more about removing the things that you're not right? Because how, how can you, when we talk about, like I said, we have all the things that we are, and then we have the things that we kind of wish we were, and we're not embodied in yet. And then, so how do we bridge that gap? Well, it's like every single time you put in an input that is what old you would do with old you's core values, you're ingraining this old you. And so you can add all sorts of new you but mm -hmm. continue to do old you shit and you're going to wonder why you're still feeling like old you. It's like, no, you have to just like, as they say, like burn the fucking docks, burn the ships. Like there's no going back. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's times where like, I'll just throw away like all of my clothes and I'll just like build an entirely new wardrobe. 
There's times when I cut off an entire friend group and I just completely pivoted. There's times when I just completely shifted major hobbies or interests or pastimes in my life and just overnight just, and I'm not saying that that's for everyone. And I'm also not saying that that's required. I'm just saying like, that's how seriously I take this because I've tried like the whole like pitter patter, you know, like dipping my foot in the water and like nothing happens. Nothing happens. You just feel like more of, you just feel like a fraud. You talk, we want to talk about imposter syndrome. It's like, you can't lie to you. (laughs) You can't lie to you. It's like, you know, we're on this podcast right now. It's all fun and great. But if I turn this off and, you know, act like an absolute tyrant and an immature boy to, uh, to my partner or to those that rely on me or to my team or whatever it is, it's like, I know the truth. They know the truth you know, serious lack of integration. It's like, well, what dictates that is like, well, I need to feel like who I say I am is who I actually am. Mm. Or that's going to leak in different ways. So whatever we have to do to show up in a way where who we say we are, which obviously we, we want to portray ourselves in a positive light. And there's nothing wrong with portraying yourself in a positive light. The idea is to portray yourself in as positive light as possible, that is actually true. That should be your motivation and your drive to do the fucking work, even though it's uncomfortable. Because otherwise, you have two options. Lie to people and wear social masks, and it's not actually who you are, and you carry around a blanket of guilt and shame for your entire life because you know you're a fake and liar. Or no one in the world respects you wants to listen to you, you don't lead, you don't have influence, you can't. You struggle to make an impact, you struggle to serve, because you haven't even figured your own shit out. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of um, some additional context I wanted to add to that. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I love that too, because if it doesn't add up, or how does it, if it doesn't, doesn't add up, subtract? Is that- is When that things aren't adding, adding up, up subtract. subtract. Yeah. And something that my, um, my business partner, Cody shares all the time is simple scales, <laughs> simple scales, simplify, 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 simplify. And I think in this field of trying to create change in your life, and there's something I wanted to touch on, um, but in this field of trying to change your life, we can, a lot of people can find themselves going from one course to the next going from one seminar to the next, going from one book to the next, right? They're adding <laughs> and then it all falls back in integration. And then, you know, cause I was in the, the Tony Robbins space. Like I love Tony, but like a lot of the, a lot of his clients and a lot of people he's supporting, that's what they do. They just go from one event to the next Yep. and there's no integration in between. So for me, I told myself, all right, I'm not, I'm not doing another course. <laughs> I'm not doing another seminar. I want to integrate what I've learned. Right. And that integration could take time, take months, yep. it could take a year, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, if, if, when things aren't adding up, subtract. And I wanted to touch on something that you shared on one of your calls, which I love, which I always fall back on. Even I, even I've shared this with some of my friends. I think it was, I can't remember the exact title of what the the topic was, but it was the four things 
that need to align for you to actually create change. I believe it was uh, environment, knowledge, state, and accountability, right? I would love for you to touch on that really quickly, just so people get understand. Because I, I I love this, and it's something that has landed with me ever since you shared about that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think there's like this illustrious. Uh, it can seem like a daunting task when we talk about change your identity. Like it can seem ambiguous or like, what are we actually talking about? Right. So I try, uh, he's referencing the level up collective, by the way. Um, he's been a member in the community. And, um, so I periodically have done, uh, master classes on changing your identity because it's literally one of the most important things we can talk about. Cause I can sit over here every week and I can teach until I'm blue in the face, but I understand because I've, I've done this for about a decade now, people aren't going to actually get results if I don't help them change their identity. So we need these tools and frameworks, right? So you might have to remind me because it's been a while on on the different four as I go through them. But um, I kind of sat with it and I kind of came up with this framework, which you're referencing, of uh, what do people actually need to create real like lasting identity change? And I'm a big fan of this concept and you'll be familiar with it too, coming from Tony Robbins work of like pattern interrupts. Yes. Of like you just need to like get yourself in completely different, um, uh, neural, neural pathways. You need to completely shift things so that you just like are like, you're in a different States. Now you're in different moods. You feel like a different person. Cause you just change like all this stuff. Right. So one big piece of this is environment out of the big four that you're referencing. So if you're trying to change your identity in an, in a real way, you need to change your environment. And that can be obviously the common one is like the five people you spend the most time with. Of course, that as well. Um, that's a, a big piece, but it can also be like a lot more micro and nuanced than people think. Like moving is a huge one. Every single time I've moved, a, it's a, been a massive level up. That's why vacations do what they do to people, right? You come back and you start making way more money, right? It's kind of a common thing. You feel motivated, you feel invigorated and you think it was a vacation. It's like partially, but you changed your environment. Our environment is constantly giving us unconscious stimuli that shifts and dictates our mood. And when we aren't ever changing our environment or if we're in an environment that's not the highest vibration or it's not aligned with our future self, it's constantly reflecting back to us our existing or our past self. And we don't understand, like, it's not like you consciously are thinking that, but that's kind of the impact that it's having on you. So environment is a big one. That's one piece. And so it's like, when we go through these processes of pattern interrupting, step one, we need to change our environment to give ourselves a fair shot. That doesn't mean, you know, you have to move tomorrow and it doesn't mean you have to cut off all your friends, but it does mean you need to be very, very aware that if you do not make intentional strides towards shifting your environment in your day-to-day, at least in some ways, you're stacking the odds against you, really. You're making it more difficult to change your identity because once again, I, I don't know how else to say this in a more clear way. Our environment reflects back to us our identity. And so if you've been in an identity and you're stuck and you're like, Jeremy, I really want to change how I perceive myself. I keep sabotaging and you don't change your identity 
or sorry, you don't change your environment. Well, every time you're in that environment, it's going to reflect back to you and it's going to almost ensure you continue to sabotage. And let me give you a really easy example of this um, for your audience. How many of us have, you know, kind of started to make some real shifts in our life? We're on the personal development path. We've been doing some healing, blah, blah, blah. And then you decide to go meet up with some old friends from college. How does that usually go? (laughs) Do you show up as your highest self or do you drop back to old you? Yes, that is the power of environment. Why did that happen? Are you a fraud? Should, Should you burn in hell? Or is that just a notion of our environment unconsciously reflects back and dictates the way in which we show up? Mm-hmm. So if we understand that in that one sense, we should understand it when we're aspiring for identity change and improving our life. Mm-hmm. So that's one big piece of it. Piece two is state. Our state is one of my favorite ones because this is really the one that a lot of people are missing, right? So the easiest way to think of this is that our state can actually shift and alter our our biology, And if you can get yourself into certain states, you're stacking the odds against you yet again, or sorry, you're stacking the odds in your favor yet again. And so let's think of like, uh, you roll out of bed, you didn't get the most sleep last night. You're kind of feeling a little off, a little, a little tired, but you're like, whatever, I'm I'm just going to drink some coffee and I'll get to it. Right. That's a very, hopefully relatable, but very specific state right? And in that state, when you're faced with the typical things that you're faced with that you're go- that frustrate you in regards to how you show up and respond to them, right? You're like, I keep not showing up how I want to be showing up. But it's like, okay, well, when you're in that state, I mean, you don't have too many options of how to show up, right? Now let's play a different example. You spend like five to 10 minutes doing um, breath work, pumping yourself up, doing different um, inner work practices. You could be doing Qigong. You could be doing the typical like Tony Robbins, hands over your head, like dancing to some crazy music, whatever, right? You alter your actual physiology. You alter your biology. And this gives you essentially a kind of like a portal to show up as a different person, to show up as a future self. And I think the easiest way to explain this is just that like the levels of consciousness that we're in dictate the reality we're able to perceive. And so if you're just relying on, I hope I feel good enough tomorrow to make the right decisions, which is the mindset that most of us unconsciously harbor, you're in for a tough go of it. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but tomorrow doesn't exist. And if you're not able to be intentional and have practices to create state change in the moment, another great example is like probably the most obvious and aggressive example of state change is like um, a cold plunge. (laughs) That's going to change the hell out of your state. (laughs) It's extremely, extremely cold. But how do you feel afterwards? You're literally a different person after than you are before you get in that ice, right? A sauna, same type of thing. So there's all these different practices and it's not to attach to the practice. The practice isn't magical. It's just that we have these tools 
and they allow us to shift our state. And a lot of the examples I'm using happen to be things that are healthy for you, but we're not even talking about health benefits. The idea is just very simple. You need to get yourself into the states of the person you aspire to be. And that requires you to be intentional because as I I said in that same masterclass that you're referencing, the art of identity change is the art of literally like lassoing a future version of yourself and pulling it into the present. I don't think people really understand what that's like. That's not easy by any means. Your present version of yourself is just a culmination of your past. In the present moment, we constantly reference the past for how to behave, and we wonder why we never change. We wonder why our lives never seem to look all that different. But we're constantly, every present moment, now, 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 we're referencing the past consciously and unconsciously for how we should behave, think, feel, speak, and show up. And so nothing changes. But with this identity change framework and specifically what something like state change allows you to do is it allows you to get in a state that, well, I haven't felt like this in a while. I I can't remember the last time I felt like this. I feel pumped. I feel like I want to do something. Perfect. Do something with it then. Lasso your future self, pull it into this current reality and respond differently to this situation that you failed the last 49 days in a row when this little thing pisses you off, or this little thing is too scary for you to do, or that's not what I do. That's not how I behave. These stories we tell ourselves, you get yourself into the right state and you go, you know what? Today's the fucking day. Mm. And you show up differently. And that single decision just opened a portal to a new world. But that portal would not have been opened if you were not in the right states, if you're just sleepily sipping your coffee, woe is me, just not feeling it today, I hope tomorrow's better. Tomorrow's not going to be better with that mindset. You have to go out and get it. And when you open that little portal and make that new decision, guess what you just did neurologically? You just created a new neural pathway. Yeah. Neuroplasticity science, right? Now we get into the actual what science can back in the brain and all that. You just created a new neural pathway. Now it's going to be easier than it was tomorrow to do the same thing. And if you can sustain it for a week, it's going to be almost second nature. If you can sustain it for three or four weeks, it's going to be a habit and you're not even going to have to think about it. So this is the nature of making behavior change a little bit more practical. Mm. Now, you want to remind me of what the other two pieces were? Yeah, and I, I wanted to touch on state really quick because that that was one that I was each missing. one is so deep I kind of get like yeah, lost no, in the sauce. Yeah, the other two are pretty pretty simple, um, but state's an interesting one because I remember I specifically remember that masterclass of yours, mm. and I was like, okay, I'm missing state for sure. Um, and there are ways you, there are several ways you could change your state, like you said, that could be like um jumping up and down right that could be jumping in a, a a cold plunge a sauna um but when you do that i took a, a course jason capital um and he talks a lot about shifting state and the importance of that wow a common one is you know like the you see the the lymph trampolines you know and people are yep, jumping up and exactly. down on the, mm-hmm. on, the, on that um another common one is just yelling loudly <laughs> yeah 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 
An example would be you could either bark or just scream. <laughs> Barking was I a like really the fun. bark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, another example would be um, something that you know to be true that's a fact. So for me, a, an, an example would be I am Jeremy Trinchier. Right. And you say that over and over and over again, louder and louder and louder each time, you're going to shift your entire state. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you mentioned breath work as well. But when you do this consistently on a daily basis, you're raising the the common denominator. You're raising that that default that you fall back to. Mm-hmm. So if you're not used to that, if you're not used to being in a quote unquote peak state, that's a great tool to or exercise for you to have a higher bar, have a higher denominator, um, to have a higher default, I should say, that you could fall back to instead of just kind of like, you know, kind of letting life happen to you, being in that groggy, I don't want to get up type of um, experience, which is a lot of people have that. Um, So yeah, I thought that was such a cool tool, having something practical. Oh, I'm gonna go out and bark. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. I was barking every hour at one point and I actually barked in church. My, my, uh, my roommate here. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. But yeah, state state is a, is a big one. Being able to shift out of your state and shift into a higher state, a peak state, uh, because that was yeah. a big thing that I was missing in my life. Now, the other two were knowledge mm. and accountability slash systems. Okay. Um, and those, the knowledge piece is pretty obvious. Like, yeah. Are you just missing knowledge on how to change your life and how to change? Yeah. So if you want to touch on that. right? Cool. Yeah. The knowledge piece is uh, pretty obvious. I think that one probably should have, um, would go first if we were to sequence these, right. It's kind of like the awareness thing. We need, we need the knowledge of this stuff. And, um, without the knowledge, you really don't have the opportunity to show up as far as the accountability and the systems. I think that aspect is very important. So when we start to get into like mere neurons and and some of the more like neuroscience of of how identity works and how our environments mirror back to us and all that, you start to really have a different appreciation for um, accountability and like how much other humans and aren't and that the constructs around us reflect back to us and dictate our success or failure in a sense. So like when you're going about this process and it's oftentimes a lonely, it can feel very lonely, right? The process of behavior change is like, I have to let people go. My friends and family might misunderstand me. Like um, it's, you have to find sometimes a whole new friend group. And sometimes that's like a, an ongoing thing of like, you outgrow people and it's just kind of comes with the territory. And so it can feel very much so lonely and and in that, it's very important that you don't try to to go it alone and that you have some sort of like accountability and systems baked into that, um, this process of identity change, because it's an, it's not a one-stop shop. This isn't like, a, okay, I'm a, I'm a piece of shit right now, and I'm going to transition from a piece of shit to a god. That That's not what this is like. It's a constant evolution. This is the human journey that's going to occur from, you know, the moment you're, I guess, conscious of these things to the moment you die. And so along that process, having some simple systems, which could be, you know, uh, it could be belonging to a group like the Level Up Collective. It could be having a few friends where you uh, meet and repeatedly kind of um, hold each other accountable. It could be 
having a call once a week with uh, a mentor or uh, someone you really uh, trust or look up to. And it also could just be like a community or an environment or uh, a group where you're all committed to kind of the same um, core values or the same evolution or whatever. And, and what this does is it really makes the, it really systemizes the accountability aspect of it, of like understanding that our brains are built to kind of mirror what we see. That's part of how programming works so well. It's like, you don't know why you're doing this thing or wearing this thing or dressing this way or saying this term, but it's like, oh, it's because you heard it. That's it. All you need to do is hear it. All you need to do is see it. And now you're saying it and you don't even know why you don't even have control over it. Yeah, that's how powerful mirror neurons are. (laughs) And advertisers understand that. So we need to use this psychology and this understanding of the brain for our benefit, not just for our detriment, right? It's like balancing out everything. If you just let the world have its way with you, it's like, it's going to be tough. All this stuff is going to be used against you, but you can use this stuff for your own good. Um, and so that's kind of how I think about the, the accountability and the systems piece is just having, I guess the easiest way to say it is just like what I meant by that bullet point in the masterclass is like being intentional about curating some sort of system in your life that is going to consistently hold you accountable to who you say you're going to be. And I don't remember if I gave this example in that specific masterclass or not, because I've done a few on identity, but like, I think I, um, one thing that comes to mind for me is like, I will speak into existence on social media, who I am or what I'm going to do. And that all of a sudden like holds me extremely accountable because like I was this 24 year old kid posting this like, I would post like um, pictures of my journal of saying like what my future was going to be like, like full on like Russ, (laughs) like I was doing that stuff like 22, 23, 24, 25, or like, you know, just sometimes when I'm, when I'm in that state, I'll just vocalize something or like, even, you know, before we had uh, a lot of the, I mean, you've watched uh, my, me, my brand and my company, um, really like level up the last year or so. Right. Well, like I was like speaking that into existence publicly and there's a difference between like maybe telling a friend or two or like keeping it to myself and then like doing it and like putting it out there. Like, here's what's going to happen. Here's when it's going to happen. It's like, okay, what I just did is I just created an identity shift because there's like one level of security to like committing to yourself in the in private right behind closed doors of like i'm fucking changing i'm tired of my shit this is it that's one level but like not the strongest approach to be honest like you're not tired enough of your own shit and we both know it but a higher level is like okay i'm i'm gonna tell the world what i'm about to do and now if i don't do it what happens that is a way, way, way stronger motivation for identity change. And I think I, uh, what was the, the quote I shared in that masterclass that seemed to really resonate with people with that was something along the lines of, as humans, we have no stronger desire than to act in accordance with the way 
that the way in which we perceive ourselves and in which others perceive us, something along those lines. And I think so there's like you, consistency in there. Yes. There's something along those lines, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So there's, so that's like kind of like a, a hack here, right? Where it's like, once you do stuff like that, you're putting yourself in a position to where your unconscious mind and such, all your faculties are going to kind of take over and they're going to do their thing because you need to act in congruency with the way that you perceive yourself and you need to act in congruency with the way that others perceive you. Mm. And we try, like, there's a million examples of that, but just look at how, like, superficial most people are or how the masks that they wear. Like, we try so hard to act in congruence with the way we think others perceive us. Mm -hmm. And so, if you can take control of that, um, that can be another pretty beneficial hack there. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that too, man. That's such a great quote. And I feel like this like really segues into just the addiction to suffering. <laughs> She's like, so, so many this people, one. yeah, the addiction to suffering and like self-sabotage and finding yourself in these consistent patterns of regression. And yeah, so many of us have had this challenge or currently have it and then not even realizing it. I remember when I was, um, I, when I was going through my trouble with my or challenges, I should say with my ex fiance, we were, I was really, this is when I really started my personal development journey. When I was really starting to get into Dispenza to Greg Braden, uh, you know, Bruce Lipton, like all these in philosophy, all this stuff. And I think something that Joe Dispenza once said was being talking about addiction to adrenaline, being adrenaline junkies. Yes. Talking about subconsciously putting yourself in position yep. to get into a fight. Yeah. Because you genuinely <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So with us, like we would have like we would be good and then we just have big blowouts, right? Over something that maybe something that I did. Um and again, I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It's not adding up. And when then when I read that, I'm like, oh, interesting. Maybe I'm addicted or I enjoy chaos in my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's been it's actually really interesting because I, I participated. I'm I'm coaching and I'm leading a, a cohort of people um in Austin area here. And that became very laser apparent as well is my, I actually enjoy a little bit of chaos. And so how that could be detrimental to any sort of change, to any sort of growth. And now it's like, okay, now I'm aware of it. Now we can get ahead of it. And you, I know you talk about this all the time is like reverse engineering, right? So how can we get ahead of like these chaotic um, experiences or uh, occurrences or results um, and again, that goes back to identity too. <laughs> so all of these are like kind of meshing together, but the addiction to suffering piece is, uh, I know that's something that you're like really passionate about and, and educating people about. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of the deeper human paradoxes because just like you said, it's like, no one's going to sit here listening to this, like, and go like, yep, 
I have addiction to suffering. It's like the, the, the common response because we all have an ego and we all have egoic faculties that keep us safe. The common response is like, I'm not addicted to suffering. Why would, why would anyone be addicted to suffering? Why would they want? And it's like, well, that's the beauty of studying the, the unconscious and the subconscious mind. It's not logical. It's not logical. And I think the mistake a lot of people make is thinking that the human experience and that humans are logical because we're just not. We're emotional creatures. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of shit that doesn't make sense. And then we try to make it make sense after. That's what we rationalize it. We try to make rules around it. Here's why that makes sense. Here's why. Here's why we do that. But most of it's just purely emotional. A lot of it's amygdala and all of that. So it was your question like why do why do we have it or how to yeah how to cope with it, how to deal with it, how to hopefully yeah, I guess like, where do you want to go with it? Yeah, I guess how to deal with that. And, and a lot of time, and again, like I know this has been a recurring theme here is like patterns and awareness. Just being yeah. aware like, hey, I've I put myself in another position to quote unquote fail again when yeah. things were going well. Why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And like really digging deep into that. So how do we dig deep into the why of recurring patterns around self, okay. uh, self-sabotage? Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll speak a little bit on myself. So I think that everyone, well, I know that everyone is on a spectrum when it comes to conversations like this. So it's not a thing of um, raise your hand if you have addiction to suffering or raise your hand if you've transcended it. It's like, just where are you at in that? And that can also totally oscillate and vary depending on seasons of your life. What I have noticed is that around... 28, 29, I had, you know, I had been doing inner work for so long that, and I had just had another, we, I had just had another kind of level up breakthrough type thing. And the, the more, the longer you're on this path, the more you kind of clean out, you start to clean out the the big asteroids. And over time you start to not really have like too many big issues left, you know, like real self-sabotaging patterns, real self-deprecation, self-hate, like you, you've, you've transcended those things. So it's more like you just, uh, I guess it's what we call a, a privilege. <laughs> you experience more privilege. Your issues are no longer survival. Your issues are like, my my partner's not meeting my deepest basic needs on a daily basis. It's like, okay, that's probably a better issue to have than like, I don't know where my next meal is coming from, right? So there's this whole spectrum. And I found myself at, you know, 28, 29, starting to become keenly aware of like this addiction to chaos that you're referencing because I really didn't have much going wrong anymore on a consistent basis, right? Like no major self-sabotage, all that. And it's like, oh, wow. Kind of reflect like, okay, I've come a long way. But what I started to observe is that same thing. Like every so often, 
why am I doing that? It's like, oh, I'm like fucking bored. <laughs> like life's too good. Life would get too good and I would do something to just try to introduce a little bit of controlled chaos. And that's literally what drinking used to be for me. That's why that was so hard for me to give up. Because it wasn't about the alcohol. It was like every aspect of my life is optimized and controlled. And you know what I mean? Like conscious, I'm conscious about it all and I'm intentional and it's, there's no room for chaos. And as Jordan Peterson always talks about, it's like life is the dance between chaos and order, right? And so, yes, of course, Jax brings some chaos into my life and I unconsciously enjoy that, but also I would create my own. So I, I just want to share that, that, that it's very interesting to kind of come to these own conclusions on your own. And you will, if you are honest with yourself, which there's really no reason not to be, we do do this in, in funny ways where it's like, you can't logically explain it, but you're just like, yeah, I just apparently want chaos. And, and to answer, to get to the heart of your question of make it more applicable for your audience is addiction to chaos comes from growing up with an, I guess what you could say, um, unstable feeling unstable or unsafe. So, um, from my upbringing was, you know, someone who wasn't in, someone who isn't trauma informed, who had my upbringing would say I had the best upbringing. I had a great upbringing, Mm -hmm. but because I'm trauma informed and because I've done a lot of the work and I understand different, you know, generational patterns, X, Y, Z humans needs and different coping styles and personality pattern. Okay. Well, my trauma wasn't, or my upbringing wasn't perfect. Uh, there was uh, a lot of different trauma. And one of the things that I dealt with, not because there was ever any uh, physical abuse, there was never any, um, we were middle class, we weren't poor, like none of that. But regardless, I grew up not feeling, um, I grew up feeling out of control. I grew up feeling unsafe, um, that type of environment. Now, that doesn't mean I lived in the hood. <laughs> Unsafe can mean, you know, to be yourself. Unsafe, like you're not you're not getting your needs met. You're not safe to have needs. Can mean a lot of different things. And that's where it's like it's understand it's important to have the background and what I'm speaking to, or else you're just gonna totally miss it. But um I think anyone who's resonating with what we're speaking to about uh addiction to chaos, realize that in your first 10 years of life, you, I'd say 80, 90% of who you are today was dictated by your first 10 years of life. Mm-hmm. And if in that time you routinely experienced a home life or an upbringing or a school life or whatever, but just more on a consistent basis, you didn't feel um, in control. It felt it felt chaotic. It didn't feel safe. As fucked up as this is, you're familiar with that feeling. 
Mm-hmm. And we will choose familiarity. Let me rephrase. We will choose fucked up familiarity over healthy, peaceful unfamiliarity. And the best example I can give you is why do domestic abuse victims continue to put up with it? Because the fear of the unknown is scarier to them than continuing to get beat because it's at least it's familiar. Mm. And that is mind blowing to me. And I've never experienced that, but I have studied it and it makes perfect sense to me based on what I know experientially now of trauma and how it all works. And it ties into what Joe Dispenza was saying there that you referenced as well, which is, which is a total bar. And it's not only emotional, but it's also biological and physiological and neurochemical. There is a chemical cascade that gets released when certain experiences happen. And every single time, just like I was talking about rewiring your brain, every single time on the negative side of that, that you go through those unsafe negative experiences, that forms a new neural pathway. And you get familiarized into that. And so if you had an upbringing of that, right, not being able to have emotions or constantly getting yelled at or having to dim yourself or not being able to be who you actually were or just not feeling safe or what any host of, you know, common things that a lot of us have dealt with. Well, by the time you get to adulthood, it's like, well, that pathway is pretty fucking ingrained. Like you've probably felt that cascade 500, a thousand, 2000 times. It's pretty natural to default back to it. It feels familiar. So life starts to get a little stressful. You start to feel a little out of control. Before you know it, you're doing some behavior that produces that chemical cascade. And the behavior doesn't matter at all. The behavior could be super fucking random behavior. Like, why the hell am I doing this? The behavior doesn't matter. Underneath it, you're, you're searching for like a, it's almost like you need like a binky but it's like a chemical cascade to cope and to soothe you that we're not, we can't see the chemical cascade, but what we're searching for is a feeling. And um, that's just super interesting to kind of get into. And it's something that we all do. And yet again, on point with the conversation around, you know, the unconscious mind and why it's such an important pursuit to really be intentional as you age, you know, year after year of making the unconscious conscious, the more of your unconscious you can bring into conscious awareness, the more, the better life you're going to have point blank period. Mm-hmm. Less of a victim. You're not a victim anymore. You're not like, why is this all happened to me? And you just blame things outside yourself. You realize, wow, I'm creating my own suffering. Mm-hmm. That's so good. How are you doing on time, by the way? All good. Okay, I'm good too. I, I got, got as much time as you want, man. Sounds good. I was thinking we could turn this in like two, three episodes anyway. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah, and I, something that you touched on just there was, you know, the first 10 years of your life. 
And I think Plato once said that, give me, give me a boy for the, from ages, or give me a child from ages one to seven, and I'll show you the man or woman. And how much, and the, the, the key ingredient, right, that you were talking about, the key experience that we're looking to feel is safety. So only in this quote unquote safe environment can you truly achieve healing. Yep. But on the flip side of that is like you will go to the messed up safety instead of the uncomfortable, unknown, like quote unquote good, right? You'll default to that, to that quote unquote negative if you're not trauma informed. And the the the, the trauma stuff is something that I'm deeply into right now um, with somatic healing you know, trauma stored in the body. So only through the body can we release this trauma. And the safety place is so, so key. The safety point is so, so key. And a great illustration of how we can create that safe environment for ourselves, because a lot of times we look for other people for safety, right? And a great illustration is just imagining like making a, a really tight fist, right? Really tight fist. And you're trying to pry it open, right? You're trying to pry open this fist, right? You're trying to make this change. You're trying to, you're, there's a lot of resistance going on. You're struggling. You might even get a little angry and then approaching that instead of what if we just held the fist, how different that feels. Can you create the safety for yourself? So getting that, and again, rewiring yourself to say, Hey, I am safe. I am safe here. I'm safe here. My feet are on the ground. Right. And I know we've talked about this many times, the unconscious bringing that unconscious out is like, we're talking about decades of information, decades of paving these neural pathways, paving these, paving and repaving those neural pathways, right? The same ones. And something um, that most people don't know is that you know, right when you wake up and right before you go to bed, that's when the veil between subconscious and conscious is at its thinnest. So those moments right before you slip into sleep and those moments right after you wake up are such important parts of your day to start creating and rewiring, creating change and rewiring your brain. Um, so that's why like a lot of people will pray right before they go to bed. Or maybe they'll read something or some, do, do some sort of devotional or maybe even do some affirmations or meditation. We're rewiring our brain. And there's there's a tons of studies, and you know this as well, too, is like the more, you, the more you're told something, the more likely that you're going to believe it. Over your, we're being just bombarded with information. And eventually our brains is like, oh, that must be true. Mm-hmm. So we could take the flip side of that. We could flip that flip the script and say, okay, if I'll, if, if something can be, can bombard my brain so much that I believe it, okay, I could do the same thing. That's why affirmations are so powerful. That's why prayer is so powerful. That's why, um, again, peaking, changing your, into a peak state is so powerful because you could change the narrative. hundred percent. Yeah. Those are all, those are all things that have played such an important role in my life and you know, reflecting back over the last decade, um, I'd say, you know, 80% or more of the mornings I wake up, it's a 
a commitment and a, and a reverence for, you know, a, a rising routine and prioritizing yourself first. And, um, same thing last before bed. And it's nice that the science has finally caught up to things that people have inherently known for thousands of years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the rising routine, the nighttime routine, it's interesting. Now through my, one of my mentors and business partners and uh, one of my teachers in the somatic and spiritual space talked about this often. And that is the, the importance of having, everyone knows it's important to have routines in the morning or like, it's something that you should consider. Even if it's like two things, it could be breathing for five minutes. You know, it doesn't really matter. Whatever it is, whatever's aligned for you. But what she illustrated for me, which I found was super interesting, was thinking about the nighttime routine and just picturing yourself as a baby. When, if you are just like watching TV, getting activated with like looking at your phone moments before you go to bed, um, like maybe you're out drinking alcohol or you're slamming food and then you go to bed immediately, that's, that's trauma. You're going, you're going to bed in a traumatic state. And what do I mean by that? If we think of ourselves as a baby or think of rocking a baby to sleep, that's the equivalent of just like giving someone, giving a baby like a, uh, what would be a good example? Like every baby has, you, you rock them to bed. That's my point. So by having a, a nighttime routine, you're rocking yourself to sleep. You're preparing your body to go to sleep rather than, going from going from x to z going from a to z just by watching something something very stimulating and then going to bed does that make sense yeah, yeah 100%. 100% i haven't I heard, heard it explained, explained that, that way but, but it's, it's basically, basically just, just um super, super important, important to not be, be in, in a, a fight, fight or flight, flight sympathetic state, state while, while you're trying, trying to wind, wind down, down to bed, bed. and, and um, um like, like you, you said, said earlier, earlier like healing, healing requires, requires us to feel safe, right? right? We, we can't, can't heal when we're, we're in like the fight or flight, flight nervous system. Go, go, go. go. And, a and a lot of people are in that, that right up until, until they go, go to bed. bed. And, and so, so it's like, like sure, you're sleeping, but like your, your body is supposed to be doing its deepest healing. And that's not just like biologically. It's, it's also like processing trauma and emotions and memories and cleaning out your brain and rewiring, rewiring neurons, neurons and killing, killing off old cells, cells. and it's, it's doing all sorts of shit. shit. And, and um, you know, you when, know you're when you're going in, when you're going, going to bed in, in a dopamine charged state, um, a bit, a bit more, more of a stimulated state, state. You're, not you're not getting, getting nearly, nearly the same, same uh, benefit. So, so these, these things, things all work synergistically. Yeah, man. So here's here's a, a tip for all the listeners out there to uh, maybe start rocking yourself to sleep at night, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to kind of pivot over to how, like, what you're up to now uh, in the sovereignty space, because um, you're you're growing by the day. I love witnessing you with your ex with your exponential growth. What you're doing in the space, what you're you're educating people on right now. Um, so tell me a little bit about like, (laughs) 
I'm familiar with The Matrix. It's one of my favorite movies, right? I I always say it's one of my favorite movies. So tell me a little bit about like what sovereignty means to you. What is going on, guys? I just want to take a really quick break from the podcast to remind you that if you're continuing to receive value from the Conscious Wealth Podcast, the absolute best thing that you can do to support us is leave us a quick five-star review and let us know how you're liking the show. I have literally nothing to sell you unless you happen to feel overwhelmingly inspired to join the Level Up Collective, our wealth mastermind, but I will never sell you on that. And honestly, we turn away about 40% of applicants every enrollment period. I started this podcast to give back and share the hidden knowledge that no one seems to be willing to share publicly, let alone share it for free. I'm sure you guys have noticed that we do not do any advertising of other companies on the podcast, nor do we run ads on our YouTube videos, simply because we're playing the long game with this podcast. We truly want to impact millions. If that resonates with you, help us continue to provide you top tier content by rating the show and sharing it with your friends. Thank you so much for the support. Now let's get back to the show. Great question. Um, I'm glad to be asked that because the space is, I guess I would say, convoluted. And it means that word means so many different things to so many different people, right? So, first and foremost, I am a marketer and I like to use stories to positively impact people. Yeah. So sovereignty was a intentional choice that we adopted about maybe two years ago, year and a half ago in our marketing and the way that we're um, speaking because you guys, my ideal audience is using that word. Mm. That's really the only reason. But what happened when we did that I never could have anticipated (laughs) that was a a really big shift in our brand because what we found out is that the sovereignty space, which I'll explain in a second is really like number one, small number two, not many like great entrepreneurs or like brands or social media content creators in the space, if that makes sense. It's a lot of like really old teachers or like people who hide or are anonymous or whatever it may be. The the few that do speak publicly, they're just um, maybe some haven't done the work. And so I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting space when we pivoted into it and, and I was never intending to kind of do this. I mean, my whole life path has been like, for whatever reason, as I talk about in a lot of my content, like I was aware of things that I guess people weren't aware of, um, at a young age. And then I, and when I was in high school, I got, I got pretty into conspiracies and, um, and all that, I I won't go into them so that you don't get shadow ban here, but 
Um, but, but it was always more of like a, almost like a, maybe it was my addiction to chaos. I don't know. It was more of entertainment, right? It was more of that, of like rebellion and entertainment. And then I, I never, definitely never thought, oh yeah, this is in 10 years, this is what I'm going to do for a career, you know? So like nowadays, um, you know, to some people, sovereignty means like freedom over your body. To other people, sovereignty means like you live on a ranch and you raise your own cattle and like you're self-sustainable. And then to other people, sovereignty means that the United States is a corporation and you're accessing your open-ended credit plan via your sesquivy birth certificate and, you know, paying for all expenses out of that and all of these more deep conspiratorial rabbit holes, if you will. For me, I wanted to explain all that because, I mean, I use sovereignty because other people like the word. I don't agree with half of the things that go on in in the industry, meaning like people see that I use that word, they follow us, they DM me some crazy shit, and I am routinely having conversations on a daily basis where I'm talking people out of doing things brand new that could land them in federal prison for 15 years. I think that what I do is I take a practical approach to helping people along their journeys to financial freedom, Mm -hmm. but it's deeper than like, here's how to make money. It's more about freeing yourself from the systems and we kind of combine consumer law, contract law, common law and trust law with, you know, overall financial literacy, investing, um, crypto, these types of things. So what I do now is definitely unique. I'm sure you'll probably want to get into that, but in terms of the sovereignty stuff, yeah, I mean, part of to a lot of people, sovereignty is uh, means you're a sovereign citizen and all that. And I don't, we don't um, teach that. That's not what I, my message is. That's not what I'm recommending for people. I think there are practical solutions living in a 2023 world to not be manipulated, oppressed, and defrauded by your own government that is actually a de facto corporation. And so I put out content around that and I empower people for solutions around that and teaching them how to protect themselves in commerce, how to, you know, understanding basic things like debt collection and their rights. And that just because a debt collector says, Hey, you're, you owe X, Y, Z. No, you don't, but we don't know that we weren't taught that, right? The basics of credit and being able to repair your own credit and using consumer laws to do that. And, um, being able to enforce your rights in, in the mail and being able to protect yourself from being sued and being able to, um, control things, but not own them and 
so many of these different things, right? It's like all the things that we weren't taught in school. That's what I teach today. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, be a part of Level Up Collective and begin to learn this. And I know when I initially met you, you know, I think it's a kind of a natural progression <laughs> for most people who maybe have stumbled up upon some sort of quote unquote conspiracy. I know when I first got into personal development, when I first got into um, health um, and the whole matrix concept and the Plato's cave concept, like you, you eventually get to this point where it's like, Hmm, what is going on with the United States being a corporation? What, what, what does that mean? And there's so much there to unravel. And um, it's really interesting because I, I stumbled upon all this stuff when I first became a raw vegan. Uh, this was three <laughs> years ago. Yeah. I'm not a raw vegan anymore. <laughs> well, but, I just uh, laugh because the, the spiritual, the health space and the sovereignty space are all like the same. They have a lot in common. That's why my trajectory isn't as random as it seems. Definitely not random. I'm just serving the same type of person in a different way. Yeah. 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 And we talk about environment, right? Like yeah. I step into a room of raw vegans. I step into a room of like the level up the collective. I step in a room of, uh, I forgot the other demographic you named, but I was like, oh, these people get it. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the like same the health, the health space, not the fitness space, but the health space. Yeah. These people yeah. get it. Like, okay. Um, maybe everything that I've been taught my whole life, uh, maybe I should take that information with a grain of salt. Yes. Maybe I should um, ask more questions. Maybe ask why more. Right. As as we've grown up and taught, like you know, as a as a child, we've been you know more or less demonized for asking why, and we talk about trauma response. That's why a lot of people don't ask why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they feel safer not asking why. So it's such an interesting trajectory for people you know in our space that are getting into more um, conscious eating, conscious community, um, conscious wealth as, um, you know, you're the title of the namesake of your podcast, right? The conscious wealth podcast is understanding there's so much more. There's so many levels that you could take this. Um, so something, I mean, dude, again, there's so much, to, there's so much to dive into here, but tell me about like, tell me about debt. Like, what do you mean? Like we don't actually owe it. It's an illusion. What does that actually mean? Yeah. <laughs> Loaded Ra question. Rabbit, rabbit hole time. Um, so the first thing I want to say before I answer that deeper is when I put out content around some of this type of stuff, a lot of people misinterpret why I'm teaching on it. Mm. There are things I teach for like, so that people can understand first principles of the world we live in. And there are things that I teach so that they can literally step-by-step step follow them in their life or as a process, like as a legal process or whatever, right? When I teach on some of this stuff about United States Corporation or In God We Trust or All Debt is Fraud or Coming Off the Gold Standard or whatever, like some of these things where people are like, I need proof, like, and I'll give proof. And they're like, but I need you to prove it. And I need you. And it's like, that is not the point. So... But I just wanted to preface like with the whole all debt is fraud thing. I'll explain that. But when I teach this stuff, 
I'm not teaching it so that you can go, okay, cool, I'm I'm never going to pay a credit card or leverage credit or anything like that again. I'm teaching it so people can open their mind to, if I've been lied to about that, what the hell else am I misinformed about when it comes to our financial systems, our monetary system, and how banking and commerce and all this stuff works? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to clarify that because it's like, I'm a, like, I'm a teacher and I put out content for a living and people, how they interpret that content is wildly different. Um, obviously, that's some of our more popular content, right? Is like some of the stuff about the United States Corporation and debt and all that. So super basics to understand in regards to the conversation of like debt being fraud and such. So when we were born, the United States uh, system as a whole, the corporation, um, each person gets turned into a business Mm. with an EIN, just like a business has an EIN number. When you and your parents, when your parents and the doctor sign that birth certificate and you're given a social, you now are a business. And that business can be traded on the uh, traded on the stock market and all these types of things. It has its own QSIP and all of that. Now, that's where we get into the weeds because that's where the people come out and they're like, well, I need you to be able to prove that. And it's like, ultimately, a lot of these things are like, you'll spend your life chasing the white rabbit and maybe you'll never catch it. And maybe you do, but you're so deep down the hole at that point that you've lost yourself. So I don't play those games. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Very important mental model. As far as the debt thing, it's like just understanding the birth certificate thing, which is pretty, at this point, a lot. I feel like a decent amount of people have heard that or or either know it or have heard it. That's where I was at. Like, I heard it, you know, um, when I first met you, I was like, yeah, Yeah, I don't know. So, like, straw man, people are like straw man and all that, right? So, yeah. So, all you need to understand is just like the United States went bankrupt a long time ago. close to 1900. And ever since then, um, in order for them to kind of right their wrongs and when Europe bought us and all of that, they put uh, salvage liens on all of us. And so that kind of turned us into property and commoditized us and all that. And that was the business deal that they made, whatever. So that's why we have income tax. We're taxed. We're the, we're the livestock in a sense, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then that's why like when we're, when a, child is born now, they're turned into that because that has value and they're able to further extract that as well. Um, Because the United States is bankrupt and if it doesn't do a lot of this stuff, then it doesn't really have, um, I mean, you can't really operate. (laughs) So we kind of have our life force leached here. So the birth certificates are kind of um, collateralized and bonded and they're traded on the markets and blah, blah, blah. But the way that that applies to debt is that if you understand that the actual value of our, all of the credit in the credit systems comes from these numbers that are attached to our birth certificates and our strawmans, right? Like each person, and by the way, person in law means business, corporation, trust, or individual. It's not just doesn't mean a human it usually means a business so we are all persons each person 
has a certain amount of value attached to their social. And a lot of these sovereignty, um, a lot of the people in the sovereignty space are gung-ho on finding what is referred to as the sesquivi trust, which is this trust that's made for all of us when we're born and get the social, that has supposedly, I've heard different numbers, I've heard I've heard a hundred billion, I've heard one billion, I've heard a hundred million. <laughs> it's different numbers, but they're spending their life trying to find and access this thing because if you access it, then you just have an open-ended credit card and you never pay debt again. That sounds frivolous to me. Um, what I think is better to understand is the concept that is true and that is easier to wrap your head around, which is just the notion of like birth certificates turning us into, um, it, I mean, it plugs you into the system, right? Even if you don't want to go much deeper than that, you can understand that like once you have a social, there are certain things that are tied to you and tracked to you and all that. So now let's fast forward to like, you're an adult and you're trying to enter like banking relationships and stuff like that. Right? So when the banks, when you sit down at a bank and let's say you're brand new, you walk into Chase Bank and you're like, okay, I want to set up a bank account. I want to apply for uh, auto loan. All right. Well, what's the one of the first things they're going to tell you they need? Your social. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they always say that that's because you, they can't identify you without that. Even if you're like, I'll give you nine other forms of identification. <laughs> nine different ways, right? Nope. We have to have your social. So why do they actually want that? Well, they essentially are running your social security number and pulling the value that you're seeking that loan in. So let's say you want a $50,000 loan. They're running your social and pulling that $50,000. Then they're going to come back to you and basically tell you, congrats, you've been approved. Or I'm sorry, you know, we couldn't find any um, any lenders or banks that would you know issue you the loan. Regardless of which way it goes, they just got paid. Mm. And so this is like the biggest mindfuck because it's completely backwards from everything that we've been taught and how it seems like it works. So when you walk into a bank, it seems like okay. I'm this struggling person in a certain situation and I really need this meeting to go well. I really need this bank to give me this money, to lend me this money, and I'll happily make the payments because I need this car or I need this house or I just really need this credit card. And so there's a lot of programming and propaganda that comes with that of like, okay, they're the creditor, right? They're going to give me credit and I'm the debtor, and I'm going to go in debt to them, and I'll happily pay it because I'm just happy to be accepted into the club, right? Free money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the world that we live in, right? Everyone's in debt, mortgage debt. They're in student loan debt. They got credit card debt from living above their means. They got auto loan debt from driving cars they shouldn't be affording. Debt, debt, debt. And when you start to go down this rabbit hole of studying a little bit about like the United States corporation and a little bit about like common law and a little bit about like securities and how contracts work and QCIPs, you're like, what? So I'm the creditor. 
And the proof of that is that they will never be able to extend you credit without your social. And so they're extracting credit from this sesquivee, which is once again, why I think people get so caught up on it. Cause they're like, if I could just go straight to the source, I'll never need a bank again. And it's like, it's the wrong way to think about it. In my opinion, it's kind of like a trivial pursuit, but it doesn't mean that you throw the baby out with the bathwater just because it doesn't work. That approach doesn't work. Right. So it's like, okay, it is very likely to me that this is what is happening. They are pulling our credit and turning around and going, here's your loan. But we credited them. So what does that make them? They're the debtors. They're the debtors. And if they're the debtors and they're claiming that we're the debtors and we're the creditors and they're claiming that they're the creditors, do you know what we call that? What do we call that? Identity theft. <laughs> okay, I was wondering, is that, that a trick just, question? <laughs> and that is just one of many processes in the space. Because if you wrap your head around what I just said, I mean, that's pretty deep. But what kind of frustrates me and why I've like kind of distanced myself from the space and why I don't like collaborate with people really and stuff like that is because like I don't like getting grouped in with a lot of these other camps where it's like, look, we all agree on and know the same things. Like they share my content. They they're like, I've been saying this, this is proof of what I'm talking about. And it's like, yeah, but like, I don't think it's empowering people to have them chasing this white rabbit that they're never going to catch. Whereas like, if you take what I just said and you understand that, okay, what should I take from that? Jeremy, what you shouldn't take from that is like throw your whole life away and just go down this rabbit hole and try to find this like Sescovis so you can access it and go to war with any and every institution ever. So you get blacklisted from everything. That's probably what you shouldn't do. What you should do is like figure out the game and learn how to play their game. Don't get disqualified from the game, learn how to play their game and learn how to enforce your rights. For example, if I just said that they're committing, am I chopping out on your end or no? A little bit. All right. I'll wait a second. Hopefully you're editing this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to edit this. <laughs> so for example, if I just said that they're committing identity theft, there are processes for that, right? And just because you know that the credit came from you and it's not your debt doesn't mean, okay, I'm never going to pay another credit card again. Because it won't be long before you'll never get another credit card again then. So there's there's intelligent ways to go about this, and there's unintelligent ways to go about this. And I think the number one thing I want to convey on this podcast is that we all understand the same first principle foundational knowledge in the sovereignty space, but what we do with it is wildly different. And I think that's what separates a chess master from someone who's just mediocre at chess. You both know the rules to the game. You know the same things about the game, but one of them derived a different game plan from the same information than the other. And that is how I feel like um, 
what we are teaching in the Level Up Collective compares to what a lot of the sovereignty space does. And I know, you know, if any old heads watch this, they'll probably feel like I'm being an arrogant little kid or like an arrogant newbie in the space. Because a lot of people that teach this, man, are like 50, 60, 70. But um, the thing, like from my perspective, I'm all about practicality. And I think that if you can help people get actual results, um, then your receipts speak for themselves. And we certainly do not have any shortage of that. And the other thing I'll say is that a lot of people, a lot of our students have come from these other groups. Mm. So I'm saying this from experience and also myself. I've worked with over 11 different mentors on different processes. You know how many of them worked out? One. One. And I'm not ever going to throw names out there or throw people under the bus, but I'm just saying that that's what this space is like. <laughs> so it's like, if they're, if that's my experience, then how many other people are having this experience? And I'm not a dumb dumb. I do did these processes to the best of my ability, right? I studied, et cetera. So I'm coming from a place not of I'm here, you're here, or like I know something no one else knows, I'm so smart. I'm coming from a place of experience of like I was the student, I'm always the student. I always have mentors, I always have coaches. And as the student, I was very frustrated at my experiences in the sovereignty space, whether we're talking about different processes for uh, status correction, different UCC filings, trusts, um, like taking people to court, different uh, administrative processes, all sorts of different things. 90, 90, 90 to 95% of them just don't, they didn't actually work. Mm. And, but you pay all this money, you do the process. It's like, but the information it, the information's true, but the application doesn't pan out. And that is what the space is like. So we try to focus on results because it's great to teach the information. That's kind of what gets people curious, right? Like our YouTube content and stuff. It's a big focus on like, wow, this is mind blowing. This is hopefully somewhat entertaining, captivating. and But the application is a whole other animal. Because it's not easy to solve these kinds of problems. Like, all right, it's always this is always the question. All right, now what? Great video. What the hell am I supposed to do about it? Great. That's what our YouTube comments say. You know, ten percent of them. And it's like, well, I'll tell you what not to do about it. <laughs> yeah, and it's so interesting you share this too because um, I'll admit my first the first thought that came to my mind when I met you and I was like, all right, I want to join. I want to get in on this is okay, I'll pay, I'll throw this on a credit card, then I'll discharge it. <laughs> That's the first yeah. thing that the first thing that comes to mind. And I feel like a lot of people in this space, um, that's what they encourage you to do. 100%. And that's what another thing I admire about you is like, you're trying to separate yourself from those people. You're your own unique individual, you, you're an integrous person. And that's why you, that's the culture you're in trying to instill into the students that you do have. Yeah. I'm certainly a flawed human being, but I believe that karma is a very real thing. And I also have a firm belief in 
in God, the creator. And I just don't want to be responsible for hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people being misled. Like that's probably my number one fear. This is like, I'm always thinking about this. It's like I'm walking the tightrope, and this has been my journey, like my whole journey. I'm walking the tightrope of being an innovator and misleading people. Mm. And it's a scary, scary place that I don't think few, I don't think most can understand unless you're in the position. But like an innovator doesn't have the luxury of like, waiting until things are like figured out, regulated and tested. Like you're the tester. So you're going to break shit and like, you're going to do shit wrong and you're going to make mistakes sometimes. And you're going to do things that you regret and be like, actually don't do it like that. Do it like this now. And that's the price that comes with being an innovator. But also I'm keenly aware that these are, this is people's life that we're playing around with. So that's why if it seems like I'm always coming on for anyone who's any of my audience, who's going to listen to this, it might seem like I'm always shitting on the sovereignty space. I'm not trying to shit on the sovereignty space. I love the space. It's just, I think we need to have more responsibility. We need to take more accountability for mm-hmm. the influence that we have, if you're going to put information out and just go, oh, well, my hands are clean. It's not my problem what someone does with that. It's like, but it kind of is. Like, we influence each other, especially on social media. Like, I can create a video tomorrow and really lead people into some messed up shit. I could influence them to do that tomorrow. That's a responsibility that I carry. And so it is, it is an every single day job that starts over to practice my highest discernment in every moment and every iteration of myself, because I'm always changing to walk that line and not stray too far one way or the other. If I stray too far away from the innovator, then things get stagnant and I'm, I don't feel actually like challenged in life and I'm not feeling like I'm actualizing my fullest potential. I know there's more I could give, but I'm just being afraid. But if I go too far to innovator, I can make careless mistakes and that can affect people's lives. It can affect their families. And that's... That's what it's like to be on that cusp, especially in a space like this, where I'm dealing with, I mean, people's, people are relying on me for their financial future. That's, uh, I don't take that lightly, you know, like their families are relying on me. And, um, I sit with that every day. Yeah, man. And I love that you're sharing that too, because. I just started a business and we talk about innovation a lot. It's in the AI space um, where we, where we help people 
find leads through social media, right? It's innovation. We, it, we, when you look at the early, uh, the innovation adoption life cycle, there's innovators, early adopters, early majority. It's a bell curve, right? Yep. And then late majority and then the laggards, right? So that's something that we try to express to people is like, hey, we're early on in this too. If anyone's coming 100%. out saying that they're AI experts, run from that person because <laughs> they, they ain't. Yeah. Right. And something that, um, cause I was in the sales space. I worked with Tony Robbins. I, I know I've shared that a couple of times already, Tony and Dean. And something that I noticed is that, um, a lot of people, not, not just them, but like a lot of people sell you on a dream. hundred percent. And I don't agree with that. And a, a lot of people in the sovereignty space, the sovereignty space are selling you on this dream. Yep. And now I've shifted because now I'm building a sales team with my company. I'm like, we're not selling people on dreams. That's yeah. we're not doing that. We're selling people on results. Hundred percent. This is where you're at. How many calls are you getting? How many leads are you getting? Okay, if you do these three things, you will get this. This is what yep. you will yield. I'm not talking about having a mansion in uh right, right, right. on the coast, you know telling them like their dream outcome, their dream life. Yeah. I don't I don't agree with that anymore. It just didn't it didn't me like either. land with me. It didn't resonate. I felt out of integrity. I felt like there's like some moral some moral things going on. So yeah. like now it's just like, hey, we're focusing on the results. And that's something that you do. Yeah. And something, you know, I love seeing the results that um that your students share that you have reshared on your on your Instagram. And it's really interesting. A result that I had, which is hilarious. It goes right back to awareness, right? Mm -hmm. And just me being aware of my credit report and just looking at it for the love of God. Um, I noticed that I was a victim of identity theft. Uh, the, what we actually think identity, what most people think identity, right, 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 right. not <laughs> the, the <common>. real, <laughs> the common identity theft for $25,000. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, this is great. I got to get this taken care of. Yeah. Um, basically the idea was like somebody during, during COVID, they had these squatter laws in place where you yeah. could, they wouldn't kick you out of an apartment if you didn't pay rent just because of COVID. So somebody was using my identity to live in Philadelphia at an apartment in Philly and just not mm. paying rent for a year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Rick. I noticed this. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, just having that awareness to check what's going on. I was yeah. like, okay, I tracked it down. I made a few phone calls. A lot of times people have struggled to get stuff off their credit report, right? Yeah. I just made a few calls. I called the apartment and I was like, hey, this is Jeremy. This is Jeremy Trenchier. Like, um, she goes, oh yeah, I know that name. We just evicted that guy last week. Like, oh, okay, good. I've never been to Philly. <laughs> so um, after she was like, oh my goodness, let me get with my VP. Let me get my lawyer on the line, everything like that. And then a few weeks later, it was off my report. And my credit score like went up like a hundred points. So I was like, why is my credit in the shitter right now? <laughs> I gotta look yeah. into this. Mm -hmm. But um, but it's just I would love to hear a little bit more like from you about like some of your students with like one or two like standouts of like working with you. Yeah. Ooh. I feel like there's so many because it's there's been a lot of inspiring results the last 2023 we made big changes um we remodeled the the program added a whole new curriculum i employed a whole client support staff and all that um november december and then january was our 
was a record launch for us. And we just got an incredibly higher caliber of student since that time. And um, I'm just super proud of them. Let's see. Well, one big standout one that I, of course, have to mention on, on the funding side. So we help people. It would be ideal if I just do a quick run through of what what do we typically help people with in the LUC. So um, we have kind of like a four or five step process. So we help people clean their credit and remove items off their credit if needed. We help people discharge debt if needed, potentially, not all circumstances, but some warrant them. Then we help people optimize their credit. And that's important because it's it's one thing to have like pretty good credit. It's another thing to have optimized credit for funding. We help people get six figures in personal and we've added business funding um, since I don't think you were in the, it's probably after you left the group, huh? So now we're teaching business funding as well. We have a whole new sauce for that. And then we help them invest investing with other people's money, which is a huge piece of what the 1% does. So that's kind of our process. So I lay that out so that now when I speak about the results, it will make sense. So just yesterday we had uh, one of our students, he either came in January or March. So tops seven months. Um, My man just got $500,000 in funding in his first round (laughs) with no background in this stuff. Seriously, I'm blown away. And I will say results, not typical. Um, We do not. Tell us what funding means just so people are clear on that. Yeah. So like, you know, the lower class um, is in debt. The middle class is afraid of debt and the upper class loves debt. And so funding references using your credit. Remember how I just went into all that stuff about how a chess master goes about their approach differently than the, you know, person with pretty decent understanding to chess, but they know the same things. Well, I just laid out how debt is fraud. So one person goes, okay, then I'm just not going to ever pay anything ever. And I'm going to just sour all my relationships and I'm going to try to access this sesquivy and I'm going to try these discharging processes 24-7, even though 85% of them don't work. Another person, aka us, go, okay, well, if that's all fraud, then let's learn to kind of play this game. Like they're bending things, let's bend things, like let's just play the game here. So we help people leverage their credit in the traditional way, but for untraditional things. And um, between getting items removed that a lot of, most people, it's kind of crazy, it's been very eye-opening. Most Americans have derogatory items on their credit, whether that's hard inquiries, late payments, um, delinquent accounts, charge-offs, collections. Most, most people. And almost all people that, join the LUC do, because that's one of the things we help people get off. Well, once you get that off, then we add a number of different um, processes and kind of hacks we can do to get people in more of the 750, 800, as well as like look really good to lenders. Cause it's not just about the number. It's about like the underwriting process of each bank and lender from there. 
you're able to um, qualify for a round of funding, which basically can look like a mixture of credit cards and loans. So those are the typical routes we go. Uh, You could do a line of credit, but typically that's not what we're doing. It's usually credit cards and loans. And with if you're intelligent about it and you and you kind of uh, what's referred to as use credit card stacking, um, which is basically like maximizing your inquiries and going about things intelligently where instead of applying for one credit card that pulls from a hard inquiry off all three bureaus, that's a very unintelligent approach versus finding one that let's say just pulls from TransUnion. That means you have eight more inquiries now that you can go before they start declining you. So you see the difference. So if you can get uh, you know, $10,000 card nine times because you get three per bureau before they start declining you, um, that's $90,000. If you can get 20K per card, that's $180,000. If you can get 30 and on and on. So that's what funding is. Now, there's nothing magical about, hey, I have all these credit cards and I'm, I'm going to go into debt. It's like most people are using debt for the wrong things, which is why Dave Ramsey is so popular, because most people do use credit cards for stupid consumer debt, and that is a bad use of debt. But what we teach is to use debt as to invest. You use other people's money to invest. It's exactly what real estate is. You have to go to a bank. They fund your property. Maybe you put a down payment down. They're paying for your property. You're renting it out and you're making a profit. We teach that same thing, but without real estate. We do that with liquid assets. And so it's super exciting to see students get you know a life-changing amount of funding, but the funding itself isn't even the most exciting part. You have to understand that the funding just represents the opportunity they now have because $500,000 invested is going to change this man's life. Like, he's good. He really doesn't ever need to do this again if he didn't want. And what's crazy is he can do it again yeah. in six months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so these are life skills we're teaching, and we try to get people to detach from, like, like I don't want you to... It's the same way you were like, yeah, I'm just going to join the LUC and then I'll just discharge the card. It's like, there's that mindset, which is like super common, right? It's like the, the short-term mindset, like what's my, what am I going to get from it immediately? And then there's the mindset, which is way more beneficial for longevity, which is like, think about investments into like mentors, groups, et cetera, as like, I'm learning a life skill that's going to pay me for the rest of my life. So like as much as we celebrate that, I always like to remind our students when they post like $100,000 funding, $150,000 funding, $75,000 funding, or half a million funding, I always like to like remind them like huge congrats, this is literally life-changing for you. And keep in mind that this is a life skill that you've just learned. And this is just one round of funding. This is, this was for all intents and purposes, this was your internship. This is a paid internship. You haven't even started the job yet. <laughs> for the rest of your life, you, you now understand how banking works, how underwriting works, what lenders are looking for. You understand some hacks, how to kind of game the system, how to get approved for things you wouldn't have otherwise been approved for. You understand all the ins and outs. That's financial literacy, right? Money is now more of a game to you than it is a, a subject of stress. 
And so that's why we teach that stuff. Um, it's changed my life and, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't share it with others. Yeah, man. And thank you for sharing. Now you brought something up a second ago and thanks for, um, painting that picture. Of course. Now man. you have those three more or less quote unquote avatars, right? Yeah. That you just shared the people, the person that's in debt, the person that's afraid of debt and the person that, what was the last one that doesn't know how to use it to their benefit? No. So I said the lower class is, is in debt. The middle class is afraid of debt and the wealthy are leveraging debt, like using it. They love it. Yeah. Got it. So I guess what's something practical for each one of those groups that they could start implementing today that, uh, to a, um, like get more financially literate or start understanding this better to improve their way of life. Okay. Well, I'd say the wealthy, they don't need my advice. Um, <laughs> Fair point. You're doing something right. But the lower and middle class, great question. So I think the biggest thing for the lower class is cleaning your credit and learning how to remove items off of your credit. Because in America, you're discriminated against based on what the TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian are publicly reporting about you. And so banks and lenders are going to discriminate against you. And that is legal because we've all agreed upon a FICO being this real thing. But in any other circumstance, if you were discriminated against, you'd sue the shit out of them and win, right? Um, For any other type of defamation or discrimination lawsuit, just think of all the stuff that goes on in culture now. They decline me because I'm a white privileged girl or they decline me because I'm a black man. And you'd win that 10 times out of 10. (laughs) But in this situation, it's like they decline me because I have a 580 FICO. And it's like, oh, well, that's the law, ma'am. Well, it's really not. It's not the law. It's just that Congress created the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act and the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Those are the two main bodies of law you want to study if you're in in trying to understand the realm of like debt, credit, and your laws around banking and just how all of this stuff goes down. Um, Congress wrote these to protect the consumer, but they're very explicit in letting you know that you have to express your rights. They're not going to do it for you. So it's all there. People just, number one, don't know how to read. That's why I always have these dictionaries in the backdrop. This is a dictionary of word origins, and these two are Black's Law dictionaries, and this is a banking terms dictionary, the blue guy. Because if we don't know what words mean, then we don't stand a chance of even reading a single legal code because none of the words mean what you think. So once you get the words and then you start to read the legal codes, then you start to go, oh, what the hell? That's not what TransUnion's telling me. And it's like, light bulb. Okay. Discrepancy between federal law written by Congress enforceable by either civil fines or years in jail. That versus what this person who can't even speak English on the phone, this low-wage VA that TransUnion's hired is telling me is the law. There's a discrepancy. Okay, now I can enforce that. That is the biggest reason that the lower class is the lower class. And I say this from a place of understanding that I'm in a position of privilege to even be saying this. But for a whole host of reasons outside of my control, I wish this were not the case, but there have been 
outright agendas on the lower class, the urban cities, and certain skin tones of people. There is a reason that it's so hard and rare to break out of poverty. And a lot of that is is systemic because of access to knowledge. They don't have the access to this information. It's literally why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm trying to make this accessible to people because you don't need a course. You don't need to ever join my community. You don't need to buy anything or do any advanced process to to teach yourself what words actually mean. You don't need anything to go to Cornell Law on Google and start studying the FDCPA or the FCRA. You don't need any of that. I'm self-taught. You can work with mentors, it can help, but you don't need that. And so what the lower class needs more than anything, and the reason they're in in consumer debt, and the reason that they're struggling and are unable to go from the lower class to the middle class, is because a lot of it is their financial situation. They're not going to be able to qualify for, I guess I think about it like this. They can't afford better information or environments. And part of that is because what they make in their earning capacity, but they can never get out of that kind of catch 22 trap because of their credit, because they're discriminated against in the credit. They wouldn't qualify for the house in the neighborhood they wanted. They can't get the car they wanted. They can't get the credit cards to buy the mentor that they need. So it's this sick kind of trap where it's like, put the money to the side, forget about the money, forget about the fact that your job can't even pay you a livable wage, forget about all that. It's like, you have to start with the literacy. Because if you understand words, which are the most foundational, right? Straight out of like Genesis. It's like the word created everything. The word, that's how powerful it is. And that applies in law too. The word creates everything, both in the 3D and the 5D. And so the lower class needs to understand words so they can do things like exercise their rights, so they can understand how to stand their ground and how to enforce their rights, so they can clean their credit, so they can sue when they're mistreated or whatever it may be. Um, That is the, to me... That's more foundational than just saying they need to make more money. It's like more money isn't necessarily going to help anything there. So in relation to debt, I would that would be my advice. It doesn't even, they don't need to do anything about debt. The reason that their behavior is what it is and they're in so much consumer debt is because of their situation. And so that's why I went to that. They need to understand the words and all that because then their situation would change. They would find their consumer debt situation changing. And even if it didn't, you can remove any item you desire to not be publicly furnished on your credit reports per Congress. None of that should be on there. So the shit you're being discriminated against, the reason you're unable to get a fresh start and no one will give you a chance, that shouldn't even be on there in the first place. So that's like step one is just like understanding this stuff so you can enforce it so that that shit's removed so that you get a fresh start. Now, if you drop the ball, then that's on you. But the situation a lot of us were born into in life 
that's not fully our fault, especially if you were born into poverty in the inner cities without any mentors and any knowledge of any of this. So that's a big reason why I try to put this stuff out. And um, for the middle class, yeah, the middle class is interesting. There's kind of like an arrogance to like, oh, I got a seven. We see it a lot. I got a 775 FICO. I have an 805 FICO. I, I don't think I need what you guys are offering. And it's like, tell me more about your $70,000 a year job and <laughs> your three kids and um, your savings account and all that. It's it's a very interesting mindset. And, and the middle class is like, in many ways, they're thinking that they're so much better from the poor because they're not in all this consumer debt and they don't live in like, you know, the projects. But there's a lot of living, living above your means, keeping up with the Joneses. And I'd say the common debt for the middle class is student loan debt. But other than that, it's a common thing to kind of like avoid credit cards and go with kind of like the Dave Ramsey, right? Like it's a very, like, it's a badge of honor to say like, I have an 800 FICO and I'm debt free. Like people will literally put that in their bios on Instagram. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but they'll just say debt free or paid off to the cent, paid off this much debt over seven years. And it's like, that's their story. Talk about identity. That's their entire identity (laughs) is that that I'm debt free. It's like, what? We live in a debt-based monetary system. I'm going to say that one more time. We live in a debt-based monetary system with a debt-based currency. (laughs) And you're <laughs> and you're not going to use debt. What are you doing? It just, I just, there's not too much to say there. Uh, the middle class, they, they, they just need uh, different information and um, humility, willingness to to open themselves up to unlearning. You know, because the middle class is like the typical. This person's like the intellectual. They're more like the, I'm educated. I went to this school. I have this many years of schooling. And, and they're so proud of what they've memorized and been indoctrinated in that they sometimes would be better off just being a fucking moron. Like it'd be way easier to work with someone who was like, could barely tie their shoes because they don't carry these preconceived notions and they're a blank slate. It's actually harder sometimes to work with the middle and the upper middle class. Um, and, and this is what I do. So I'm speaking from experience. It is harder for us to free those people than it is the, the lower class. Seriously, because there's just so many years of this is who I am. And I went to this school and I know these things and I have this degree and what you're saying doesn't make logical sense. And this is my FICO and I'm debt free. And it's like, all right. Um, so for them, it's, it's all in the middle. It's, it's mindset. You need to shift your paradigm. You need to shift your identity. You need to ask yourself one question. Is what I'm doing resulting in the life that I desire? If not, you might want to consider changing your inputs, changing the rules that you're operating under. And um, if you study, which is what I'm all about, right? Secrets of the 1% or whatever. I've been studying the 1% for the better part of a decade all throughout my 20s and into my 30s. If you study the 1%, there are very, very, very few examples that you can study publicly at least that don't involve leveraging debt. They either started a company 
with investors or loans and blew up to a big B, then branched out. Or they're one of those investing um, investing stories, you know, like a, a Warren Buffett or a Charlie Munger or whatever, where they end up building a, a brokerage and all of that, all of that requires debt. Um, investors, board of directors, VCs, whatever. Even the people that are telling you not to use debt, their whole, the only reason they're where they are with the privilege to even have the audacity to tell you not to use debt, they literally are only in that position because of debt and what a debt-based monetary system has done for them. Yet it's like, I don't know if it's recency bias because they almost maybe forget how they, what got them there, or if they're actually genuinely malicious, I don't know, but like, it's just astounding to me that it's not more obvious to people of just like, I think we're all aware, like you shouldn't take advice from people who don't have the life that you want. Right. So it's like the middle class is like the loudest with their opinions on debt. And it's like Ramsey really just nailed that demographic and swallowed up most of the market share. And it's like kind of brutal to see because he does have what you want. He's almost a billionaire. Did you know that? He might even be a billionaire now. I know he was very wealthy. Uh, no, like he, next, next level wealthy. Yeah. yeah. So how did how, he get there? Real estate. How do you do real estate? <laughs> no one's paying liquid cash of their own dollar. No, these- <laughs> and it's the whole, it's the same yeah. model of like the Burr type model, like the fixing the kind of like use one cash out refinance, like, that's how you scale real estate if you're not doing corporate or um, commercial, sorry. So it's like right in front of people. Like, how is he affording this radio show where he's telling you not to use debt? It's like, that's literally the byproduct of the banks. Like he's, that's how his net worth is what it is. It's X amount of hundreds of millions in debt. Like if you're a billionaire, you might be $400 million in debt. And there's there's no way he doesn't realize this, right? Yeah, I mean, no, no. And I I would love to see a clip of someone calling in and just asking this, like, how do you justify this in your mind? Like, you're you're telling us, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just I haven't. I'm making too surface level of a judgment here, and maybe he does give nuance of like that's the advice I give people who are in that season. I don't tell everyone that debt is bad. I've just never heard him not say that debt. I've never heard him actually say, hey, you know, my advice is for those in fucking survival, but here's how you could actually like build an incredibly prosperous life. I've just never heard him give advice about how to actually prosper. I've only heard him give advice about how to lessen suffering a little bit, but actually, in my opinion, it creates more suffering (laughs) to live on beans and rice and and not ever leverage credit. And it's just a slow game. Yeah. Dave, so, yeah. I was just going to say that he riches are in the niches. He's found his niche of people. 100%. That he's found, he's just, he's sticking with them guys. We don't know exactly his net worth, but if he's pushing a billion, he's doing something right. Right. 100%. But to your point, like 
is there a flip side to what he's saying? Is he actually educating on the other side of that? I, I don't really know. I don't follow him that well. I just kind of see memes about him a little bit. And he it makes yeah. me laugh um, about like, pe- <laughs> like people with, with all this debt going out for like a $300 dinner. Like, what are you doing? Like that type of funny stuff that I see about him. But um, no, it's interesting. It's, I, I love that you shared about uh, like we're in a debt-based society and people not leveraging that. It's very, very interesting. And it's like the middle class, the upper middle class, like I've, I've noticed they can be uncoachable. 100%. To intellectual, the more, the more you raise your IQ and your intellect, you're developing your ego. That's what that is. And so you can't, it's like the other side of the, it's a double-edged sword. You can't develop your intellect and not develop your ego. Mm-hmm. So it's that's what you're dealing with. The more intellectual of a person you're dealing with, the stronger of an ego they're going to have. This has been my experience as well in life. Yeah, and we we saw a lot of that in 2020, 2021 with the the world events. We don't got oh, yeah. we don't got to dive oh, yeah. too deep into that rabbit hole. We'll save that for yeah. another conversation. Right. But it's like, and I was just going to say like these people are brilliant people. How can they not see what the heck is going on right now? It doesn't make any sense, but yeah, you were, you were about to say something. I was just going to say, and you had like low, the lowest income, like people in poverty, people in inner cities, people in like, you know, the Midwest, like country bumpkins who are like, it would never cross their mind. They're like, I'm not taking no shot. I'm not taking no, like, you can uh, edit that out if it's going to get us censored, but um, it's very interesting that bell curve of like people without education, without schooling, inherently rejected it. They did not trust it. Yet it's the higher IQ, not the peak IQ, because it's a bell curve, but the middle and higher middle IQ that's like, you're all idiots, anti-vaxxers, <laughs> like, you know, that type of thing. And then it's like, now, obviously, things have changed. And um, Mr. Fauci might be going to the penitentiary. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Mr. Robert, Robert Kennedy and, and Trump are on his ass. So, love to see it. Yeah. And, like... We could wrap up this topic. I know I had a few more questions for you, but so you get somebody who sees your content, they're pumped up. Oh man, I could break free from the tax system. Like now what? (laughs) So without having them, like, what, what do you tell that person? Like now what? It's just to go educate yourself. Is that like the main thing? Like, uh, understand, you know, what you just shared about the dictionaries, understanding what words actually mean. Like, what what do you tell somebody? Because you probably get blasted with DMs all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So honestly, first and foremost, before even that is just like, why do you want to do this? And what kind of person are you? Because this path is like, seems like it's really sexy, right? Like what we see in this space is like free cars, discharge your mortgage, don't pay taxes, all debts, fraud, unlimited credit plan. Sign me up. (laughs) 
what? What? <laughs> Everything's free. That's it. No more responsibility. No more need for discipline and masculinity. Okay. And I fell into that too in the beginning. That's what I was talking about where I was talking about walking that fine line because I have made mistakes where I did genuinely think that something was the best route or something was true and then it turned out to not be what it seemed. And I had to kind of mature through that. And I've, so I feel like I'm on kind of year two and a half, three of this now. I'm starting to, I just feel a lot more mature in my stances rather than making claims that should not be made. So what I say to that person is like, this path is not for 99% of people. And even just removing taxes, like it is a good uh, kind of sample question because it's one of the most common, like, wait, what tax? So then taxes are fraud. The United States is a corporation. So then I'm just not going to pay them. It's like, no one said that. That's what I'm talking about again, where it's like, I am teaching information based on hidden history and you're hearing from me that Jeremy says to stop paying taxes. It's like, if the average person does that, you're about to get wrecked by the IRS. There is nuance to all of this. And so it's like, number one, as you know, I'm always teaching, who the fuck are you? (laughs) You have to be clear on who you are and like, what do you really want out of life? And are you really built for this? Are you really built for it? Because like a lot of this stuff, you have to like really be firmly rooted and grounded in like a, a higher purpose and what you know to be true. And you're going to be tested and you're going to occasionally have to go to battle. Can you handle that? A lot of people can't. So first and foremost, that type of thing. Um, And then to be a little bit more um, practical with that stuff, it's like, I like to advise people to spend like a, spend a year just learning different approaches and don't do anything. Because some of this stuff, and this is like what kind of scares me about the space is like, it's always the new people who don't understand shit that are trying to do the most aggressive irreversible processes. It's crazy. It's like the person who just watched the straw man documentary and they're like, yeah, I'm in the process right now to kill my, uh, to kill my straw man and to access my sesquivy and put a UCC one lien on my treasury account. It's like, do you understand what you're doing? Like if you do one wrong thing, you're, you can be federally indicted on trying to defraud the United States and go to jail for 10 years. Like, but that's not real. Cause I'm not my straw man. And it's like, do you know how to enforce that? You know? So it's some of this stuff where it's like, I wish people would be a little bit more patient, learn the UCC stuff, learn secured party creditor, learn, Equity law, learn trust law, learn contract law, learn common law, learn consumer law, learn all these different potential ways, learn status correction, learn all these different ways, and then you'll have a way more complete picture of like, honestly, what this guy's saying makes a lot of sense. Like, I honestly, I think that is kind of our secret sauce of like what 
what, how I'm different in the industry is like, if you know, you know, what I am saying, if you've walked the path, you're probably nodding your head because it's not something just I have experienced. And it's a very common for people to find one process and go gung ho. And I did it too, guys. <laughs> I've thrown myself into situations I was not ready for. I'm getting my ass sued left and right. I got people at my fucking door. I got people trying to repo things. Oh my God. You learn a lot about yourself through that, you know? But um, I can say from experience that, like, if I could go back and I'm talking to someone who's just coming across this information, or who's newer to it, never done a process, you're still fully in the systems and you've never done anything with credit or any of that stuff. Take your time. Take your time. Learn. Join a group. Uh, join, join multiple groups. Uh, or if it's public, watch. Learn from multiple. Learn from people who have different stances and even uh, believe differently on certain topics. Um, like a lot of my students, like I adamantly my stances are adamantly in disagreement with some of their other mentors. And so it's kind of a thing for them of like, I'm never going to tell you what you need to believe. You've learned from them. You've learned from me. You come to your own conclusions. What makes the most sense to you? And that's something I had to do because I wish someone would have given me that recommendation for clarity and discernment. Cause I was just learning from these people. I was viewing them as a guru. And I was like, wow, they really live this life. And the, and it turns out, no, it's fucking bullshit. Maybe they do, but their teachings do not work. <laughs> so it's like just taking that time. And I mean, I did do that, but I was just applying it immediately. I was going gung ho. So, but look, that's my path. I'm my ego or identity tends to be all or nothing and whatever there's, there's pros and cons, but yeah, that's my that's my biggest piece of advice. You're you're just learning about this, whether it's the tax stuff or whatever. It's like, look, I mean, look into this stuff. How are people? How is it that people are saying taxes are voluntary? Instead of just saying, "Oh, that's wrong," or "Yeah, that's right," either way of those isn't the best approach. Why? How are they saying that? What are they referencing? Where Where is this coming from? Do you have any bodies of law you can read that might point to this, right? So these types of things. And then the discharging debt stuff or, th or this, or like uh, discharging a mortgage or discharging a car or any of this stuff that's popular in this space, right? Or not needing a license plate or whatever. It it's like, just learn about it. Learn the first principles is really what I'm getting at of all of the different things to where you can construct a cohesive framework to where it's like you understand how the United States corporation fits in. You understand how the straw man fits in. You understand how debt and the banking system fits in. You understand how the taxes fit into that. You understand how all of our interactions in commerce are actually um, related to all of those pieces. And now you have somewhat of a basic but solid interconnected framework where you can go like, okay, actually, I don't think like that's the best move. Like this is really what resonates with me. I'm going to go this direction type thing. Okay. So now I know you, I know you mentioned Cornell law. Where, yep. where are some places that people can start? Uh, like for what specifically? 
um, just like to to learn all this stuff because I, I love what you said. Is like learn it. You got to walk before you can run, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I know exactly what you mean. I'm an all in type of guy myself, and um, I found that when I've been patient with learning a new skill, something that's really going to shift the trajectory of my life. When I've been patient with it at the beginning then I've had the actual results that have yielded the most fruit that have allowed me to be sustainable in my life. And it's really good because I, I feel like I just had this moment, this, <laughs> this realization as you were talking. Yeah. Um, so as far as like resources, I know you have um, some things that some resources that you give out. Uh, is there any other, other websites that people can refer to to start learning this stuff? Shit, I've come across like straight rabbit hole websites over the years, but nothing, nothing that I'd put my my reputation behind. Um, uh, there is a, I'm trying to think of it. So the difficulty is finding like comprehensive, something that connects all the dots for you. Like that's what's hard to find. So like. Each area, like I studied it on its own, right? Like, so like I had a mentor for this, a mentor for this, mentor for this, uh, practicing consumer law over here, but that's totally different from saying I'm not a U.S. citizen. And and that's totally different from saying um, the tax conversation. So these are different buckets. Right. It's very rare that the buckets are combined. We just so happen to teach all those buckets. And once again, that's where I feel like we're differentiated. Normally in the space, you have one person who's dedicated their whole life to status correction or to secured party creditor or to being an American national or to private trusts. It's like a hyper-specialized type thing. So it's honestly, I would say um, YouTube definitely like you can actually find some solid rabbit holes on YouTube um, in whatever realms you're trying to learn on. So just start searching shit and see what the algorithm will show you. And then when you find a good one, it's probably going to show you more stuff of that. I mean, a lot of them are anonymous, right? You can't see their face there. There's some advanced pages where they're every video is like, you know, it's going to be brutal for your attention span, but you can learn some basics for those. Once again, what I find is that there are not good teachers in the space, meaning like people don't understand human psychology when they teach. They're just like, here's the information, take it or leave it. And they don't really give a shit. And I get it because that's their life and their stance and they don't need your whatever. But what we're trying to do with this brand and with our content and the content team and everything, our new mission that we're building out is like, I understand the pain point of the space. You can't find shit. The stuff you can find is extremely confusing, overwhelming, or not optimized for your attention span. The words are confusing. It's not simple. So that's really, honestly, your question, that's what I'm trying to do with our YouTube and our podcast. But outside of that, I mean, absolutely, like uh, understanding word origins, this book, the Dictionary of Word Origins, is really dope to understand where words come from, the origins of those words. And then getting yourself a Black's Law Dictionary. Now, those aren't those aren't going to teach you law. Those are helping you decipher law. And you're going to have expanded awareness just reading words and definitions of like, oh, shit. But it's just like The Matrix. Just watching The Matrix doesn't mean that you're having all these epiphanies and breakthroughs about the world we live in. A lot of people don't. It doesn't even cross their mind. 
But if you watch it with a certain intention, you're going to be going, oh, shit. Yeah. That's what that means. This is the same thing with studying law and studying words. So if you study it with an intention, you're going to see what you couldn't see before. Same thing with the Bible. That The Bible's in this list as well. It's this middle one in the right here in the gold and black. The Bible is a book of commerce as well. A lot of our debt laws and a lot of different things come from Deuteronomy. And um, there's all sorts of stuff in there about debt. There's taxes that are in there. There's all sorts of shit in there about commerce that is literally where our current system came from. So those are like more abstract though, right? Like that there's not really, there's really not cohesive frameworks. And I think that's what I'm trying to build right now, but I don't have like a, you know, there's not a one-stop shop. Um, I could of course recommend um, like David Robinson books for your audience so to not be give such an annoying answer. I will say like David Robinson books, like um, meet your straw man and um, all the other ones. He has all sorts of, he probably has five to 10 little short type books that will give you the bridge. A lot of these gaps for you. Not many do it. Um, he does it well. Now, once again, I don't agree with his process and application. You can actually see he was federally indicted in the last few years type of thing that I'm saying here, where it's like everyone's guru goes to jail and it's like, (laughs) you know, that's not the type of process I want to be following, but that doesn't mean that all of the information and the years of study are wrong. It just means maybe they barked up the wrong tree or whatever it may be. So yeah, that was definitely um, back when I was learning this stuff. David Robinson is good. Um, there's another one called The Manual for Freedom, A Peaceful Sovereign's Path um, by Morgan something. I met him in person at a sovereignty conference. He's a dope dude. Um, that's another good one that kind of connects a lot. Um, so those are that's what I'd say there. Yeah, thank you. And so, short answer would be uh, Book of Deuteronomy, the the origin of words, that other dictionary you mentioned, and listen Black's to Law Dictionary, Black's Law, and listen to the Conscious Wealth podcast. So tune into that. That'd probably be yep. a great place. Yeah, <laughs> and then David Robinson books uh, then, for sure, and, and then David Robinson books. Awesome. So I, I just had a few more fun questions, um, and then we could cool. we could wrap up here, and then if we can just hang out for a second after we're done recording too. Um, yeah. So a few fun questions. Um, so you are, you're 90 years old, right? 90. You're 90. Okay. Okay. You're looking back on your life. What are you most proud of? Mm. That's a deep question, man. Um, obviously my mind's like, but I'm only 31. So how am I supposed to know that? But what comes to me is I'm most proud of my ability to actually heal and be able to love 
because I think after, I think that's the hardest thing to do. Um, we're all born into this world and it seems like we didn't have a say in it. And then you have this upbringing and by the time you're an adult, a young adult, you're so closed off to who and what you actually are mm. that most adults, you know, 99% of them go their whole life and die still having never opened up and gotten to experience what life can be. And so it kind of just like your question brings me to like, almost like when you connect with your inner child of like, you know, nine year old me talking to six year old me, like you did it, you know? And I think that that's far more important and is, and will continue to be far more important to me than any sort of achievement. I only do what I do because it's love. Thank you, brother. Yeah, and you, uh, you you sat there and processed that, so you know that came from the heart. So I appreciate that, bro. Yeah, I don't definitely don't have a rehearsed answer for that question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, awesome. Um, okay, cool. Two more questions. If you had a megaphone right now that reached everybody in the world, what would you say? Hmm. I just got asked a similar question in a very, in a different way, but to the similar essence and where I'm at in life right now, I have the same type of answer, which is that there's nothing outside of you. So I kind of left it on a cliffhanger in that one, but I'll elaborate a tiny bit here. Um, I think that whether we're looking at the most macro scale of like the world and we can get sucked up into this, like, Oh, the world's so fucked up where there's war and there's poverty and famine and there's so much suffering. And from that scale, it's extremely important to understand that everything you're seeing out there is just a reflection of you in for all intents and purposes, it's an illusion. And that is massively paradigm shattering to realize and brings a different level of peace and then on the most micro in when we're in our own shit, oh, I want to be here. I wish my life was better. I wish this was different. I wish I, this was whatever it may be, right? When we're in just in our day-to-day of our desires and our wants and our egoic pursuits, also understanding that nothing is outside of us, meaning like we're not the victim. There is no, like, just like I just did the video on, there is no, like, matrix out there. Like, there is and there isn't. It's like, it might sound like I'm contradicting myself, but it's like, there are people, corporations, and institutions out there. But what the mindfuck is, is that that's you. And I think that's really hard to get to. But I think that until you can get there, you will have hate in your heart. Because how can you not? How can you look at what a Bill Gates does and not hate that? 
And it's like, okay, fine. You can hate that, but you don't need to hate him because that's you. And until you can get there, you will hate him. Mm-hmm. And if you can just understand that that's the unhealed aspects of yourself manifesting in a different form with different upbringing and experiences, that's literally you in a different universe. You can, it, it just shifts everything. Like if everyone on earth had this perspective, I just adopted, think of what the earth would be like in the macro and micro. Yeah. That's so good, man. We're just all reflections of one another. Yeah. And you, what you said, you brought up something way earlier. Now that I'm just remembering is, uh, this idea of like, you spot it in someone else, you got it. You spot it. You got it. Yeah. If you dislike something in somebody else, there's a chances are you see that in yourself. And that's why if you admire someone thinking of someone else, chances are that's something that either you are aspiring to have in yourself or you already have that gift within you. Yep. And once we get to this place of like recognizing that we're all just mirrors of one another. Like our life can be a completely different. The whole 100%. world will change overnight. Yep. Yeah. That's really good. Okay. Last question. Cool. If you could have dinner with anybody in history, who would it be? Mm. Well, the real answer, we don't know their names, <laughs> but the ones we know their names, like for example, if Atlantis actually existed, I would want to have dinner with the emperor or whatever that was called of that civilization. Cause supposedly they were the most technologically and socially advanced. And it wasn't a simple landmass in one area. It was a global civilization. So that would mean that they were the leader of the free world in the most advanced free world civilization ever with technology past what we currently have. And apparently that was all lost when the water rose and it became an underwater civilization and collapsed. Anyway, because we don't know that to be indistinguishably true and we don't have names and records, I would go with uh, Nikola Tesla because I believe that he understood the unseen realm better than just about any other scientific pioneer and um you know i'm all about that stuff so i would want i would definitely want to console people that understood the unseen realm and that's even so much it's it's unfathomably impressive studying people from like the 17 and 1800s that the grasp they had on reality even though there wasn't education around this is mind blowing. Like they really just were getting it from tapping in directly to the source. They were getting these downloads and insights from their own altered states and meditations and reflections and even like dreams and synchronicity. And it's like, but we didn't have words for that. We didn't have, we didn't have science for that. We didn't have, it's like, it's crazy to me. So Definitely Tesla would love to know about the free energy shit, why they sniped him and what else the hell we've known about and had harnessed all this time that still being, uh, what's the word? I guess just hidden, oppressed, suppressed. There you go. Suppressed. Um, that'd be my number one. 
Yeah. If I could have put everything I own on you saying Tesla, I would have. (laughs) I just realized that that's hilarious because I'm a huge Tesla investor and you know that, but totally (laughs) different. Those are unrelated. No, no, I wasn't thinking in terms of that, but that is that is kind of funny too. But um, mm-hmm. no, man, that those are such good answers. And you know wow, me well, then I know you well, man. And yeah, that's cool. And we we shared it. We watched a movie together where Tesla was a big piece of it too. Oh, uh, yep. There you I go. just that's I why. just thought about that just now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, great answers. I love the Atlantis piece. I love the Atlantis piece. I actually went to a, a friend of mine. Um, she does like soul readings and she mentioned to me that I had a, I was a big part of Atlantis, like in my mm. soul's journey. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, whether there's validity to that or not, it's a, it was a cool experience to hear that. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, Jeremy, man, thank you so much for your wisdom. I, I I admire you as a friend, as a mentor, as just a guy who's just got a chock full of knowledge, who genuinely has a heart for humanity, who has a heart for just overall growth. And yeah, I just appreciate you. And you know, I don't take it lightly that we spent all this time together. So thank you for, again, sharing your wisdom, sharing your time with all of us. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you, brother. Fully support what you're doing. And uh Hope your audience got a lot of value from today's conversation and uh, I look forward to doing it again sometime. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. Peace guys. Peace.